Liberty NZ on the wireless with Grant Edwards. It is just about five o'clock. We've got TNT Radio News on the way. And uh, so we'll just go straight across to TNT Radio and we'll take that news right now. Just finishing off with one of the announcers. Seal Rabat, everybody. Last name is spelled R-A-B-B-A-T-H. Cyril, C-Y-R-I-L. Cyril, I'll see you again soon, I hope, man. And keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Listen, everybody, we'll be right back with more on TNT. If you miss this hour, simply go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. Recapping some of the news that shaped the past week, I'm Matt Boyland. U.S. President Joe Biden promised to transfer another $200 million worth of weapons to Ukraine, making the pledge during an Oval Office meeting with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky on Tuesday. i got one more thing to say. I just signed another $200 million drawdown for the Department of Defense for Ukraine, and that will be coming quickly. Thank you. Thank you. Biden had requested another $60 billion in aid from Congress last week, but the bill was blocked in the Senate. Republicans say they are happy to greenlight the extra cash for Kyiv to defend its eastern borders, but first they want the president to defend the US's own southern border with Mexico. They want the funding bill to include money to tighten up border security, but Biden's not budging. The $200 million weapons package announced Tuesday will come from the Presidential Drawdown Authority, which allows the Biden administration to transfer weapons from US stocks without congressional approval. It'll include ammunition for HIMARS rocket systems, high-speed anti-radiation missiles, artillery rounds, and 4 million rounds of small arms ammo. Zelensky's meeting with Biden came after the Ukrainian leader met with House Speaker Mike Johnson, begging him to approve the initial $60 billion. But Johnson wasn't swayed, maintaining his party's stance that the US's own border security is far more important than more cash for Kyiv. Our first condition on any national security supplemental spending package is about our own national security first. The border is an absolute catastrophe, and this is because of the policies of this White House and this administration. And with the standoff set to push past Christmas, President Biden lashed out at Republicans, accusing them of helping Russia by denying Ukraine of further aid. Congress needs to pass a supplemental funding for Ukraine before they break the holiday recess before they give Putin the greatest Christmas gift they could possibly give him. Australia, Canada and New Zealand expressed their anger at Israel's relentless bombardment of Gaza this week, which has so far killed over 18,000 Palestinians. The Prime Ministers of the three nations releasing a joint statement saying they are alarmed at the diminishing space for civilians in the besieged territory. The three leaders saying the price of defeating Hamas cannot be the continuous suffering of the Palestinian people. It comes as a growing number of countries turn their back on Israel, no longer able to justify and defend the country's brutality. US President Joe Biden joining the chorus on Tuesday, admitting Israel is losing support over its indiscriminate bombing. Meanwhile, it was also revealed this week that Washington had told Israel to rein in its aggression, telling Benjamin Netanyahu it wants Israel to end its brutal ground campaign by the end of the year. Also making news this week, Donald Trump took another shot at President Biden, saying he is the real threat to democracy. It comes after Democrats warned a Trump victory in 24 would destroy American democracy. Biden is the real threat to democracy for two simple reasons. He's corrupt and he's incompetent. 
grossly incompetent. Ukraine backflipped on its threat to boycott next year's Olympics in Paris this week. Kiefer threatened to take its bat and ball and go home after Games bosses gave Russian athletes the green light to compete under a neutral flag. But Ukraine's acting sports minister says pulling out would be pointless and says Kiev will instead focus on working with international sports officials to try and stop Russian athletes from competing. And Finland announced this week that it's reopening two of its eight border crossings with Russia. The Nordic nation previously closing the entire border after accusing Moscow of launching a hybrid attack on the country by flooding it with asylum seekers. This has been Matt Boyland for TNT Radio. I'll be back with more at the top of the next hour. Thank you very much, Matt. It's Grant Edwards here. It's five past five, and I've got weather for you next. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real. That's substantive. That's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Yes, tntradio.live is the place to be. Well, let's look at the extremes firstly for New Zealand and Napier. 20 degrees this morning right now. Just gone five. What is the time? Five minutes past five. Napier, 20 degrees. Tiana was the lowest temperature, 3.9 degrees. Mahia Peninsula, 30 kilometres of wind there, not much at all really, that's only about, oh I don't know, 15 gusting, gusting 12 knots or something like that, not much wind at all. Taramanui's the wettest, they've got 2 millimetres of rain uh, pouring down there. Now let's look at the temperatures right across the main centres firstly, for Stewart Island 10 degrees, Invercargill's on 7, Dunedin has 12 degrees, Timaru's on 12 Chatham Island is nice and warm out there, 16 degrees, Christchurch 13 and Blenheim's on 17 this morning. Uh, to the centre of the country, further south, Queenstown 9 degrees, on the west coast, uh, France Joseph has 12 degrees and Westport is on 13. Nelson 17, the same with Blenheim. Moving up to the North Island now and the capital city, uh, Wellington and Masterton both on 14 degrees, Palmerston North 17 degrees along with New Plymouth. Napier's on 20 degrees, nice and warm for this time of the morning, and Taupo 15, Rotorua 11, Gisborne's on 18 degrees, Tauranga has 14 degrees, Hamilton 17, 19 in Auckland, and Whangarei and Kaitai are both on 17 and 15 degrees for the top of the North Island. The short forecast for Northland, Auckland and Coromandel, cloud increasing, isolated afternoon and evening showers. For Waikato, Waitomo, Bay of Plenty, Taupo and Taumaranui, Scattered rain turning to showers in the afternoon, but clearing from Waitomo. Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, mainly fine today. Scattered afternoon and evening showers, then becoming cloudy. For Taranaki to Wellington, including Taihapi, also Wairarapa, scattered rain clearing this morning, and then mainly fine weather, but isolated showers about the ranges. For Buller, Westland and Marlborough, isolated early uh, showers, and then you've got fine weather, so that's good. Isolated showers returning about the ranges in the afternoon and evening, though. For Marlborough and... Marlborough? No, no, we did Marlborough. Yeah, Canterbury and northern Otago. Cloudy with patchy drizzle this morning. And um, only fine weather, though. But you've got some isolated afternoon and evening showers about the ranges. For Westland, Fiordland and the remainder of Otago. And also we'll put Southland there as well. Mainly fine weather down south. And for the Chathams, cloudy and occasional drizzle developing this morning. Cloudy.
Right, um, we'll also have, um, I'll look at the extended forecast around about half past five this morning. And we're going to have a bit of country music while we're playing, so um, that's good too. We'll have just have a very quick look at the main headlines so you're up to date. It's six, is it six? No, no, it's eight. Gosh, two minutes it took to do all that. Eight minutes past five. Very good morning to you, and I hope all is well. The number here at the studio, if you'd like to um, give us a call, uh, mainly you can call if you want, or a text. Um, if you just want to send text, most people send text nowadays, don't they? So the number is 021-732-423. I'll repeat it again, 021-732-423. Don't be shy. I'm happy to, uh, for you to um, send me messages, and um, you can... You can talk about whatever you like. I'm open. I'm open. But you might want to not. Um, you might. You might actually not agree with the next thing I'm going to play, and you could be upset if there's any women listening. <laughs> if there's any. If there's any left after listening to me, honestly, women hate me. Today we are reviewing this modern woman who tried to test her husband by divorcing him thinking that he will beg her to not leave him. It all backfired when her husband got so tired of her childish behavior and didn't contest the divorce. Now she cannot stop crying and... Yeah, I don't know why you guys break up with your... You break up marriages. That's a game. Mm, That's pretty silly, isn't it? Pretty crazy. All right, let's um, move across to. Um, gosh, I hope you can hear me. Sounds a bit weird uh, in the. Um, let me just check. Let me just check the levels, Marley. That is okay there. So we're going out on the streams now. Ah, uh, the thing is, are we going out? Oh, we're not going out on that one. I'll click that one there. There we are. Okay, so it looks as though we are okay. Well, we've got that hundred-day policy now. Bryce McKenzie from, um, what's his name now? What's the name of it? Groundswell. They have, he's just sent out an email and he sent an urgent one out. And I'll just recap that for you so you know about that. But um, actually, I wonder if I should just, let, let me just quickly look at the um, the headlines too, just to bring out today. And then we'll talk about that 100-day policy that the government has said that they're going to do for us. So first of all, Jimmy Barnes, he's recovering from open heart surgery. Australian musician Jimmy Barnes is up and about after having open heart surgery. I wonder if it had anything to do with his jab. Now, this is a very interesting little headline here, and it's make, they're trying to, the um, Radio New Zealand, that's where we are at rnz.co.nz, and they're trying to make Trump look like a Nazi. And so it's, this is the headline, Trump continues to claim immigrants poison the blood, echoing Nazi rhetoric. Now, it's not all immigrants. He's talking about undocumented immigrants, illegal immigrants. Um, and he, he might, he may have said poisoning the blood, but they make it sound like he's an absolute racist and he hates all immigrants, um, especially the Mexican ones probably. But that's not true at all. And you've only really, the best, the most important thing I think with Trump is to go and actually listen to Donald Trump's speeches yourself. And then you'll know because the mainstream media here in New Zealand have hated him from day one because he's not one of the globalists. He's, he's against it, you see. So anyone that goes against it, like here in New Zealand, Liz Gunn, she's not a globalist. That's New Zealand loyal party. So anybody like her or, um, Donald Trump, uh, or others, uh, although some people might argue with me and say, oh, Donald Trump is a secret globalist, but I don't think he is. Anyway, uh, so this is the headline. So Trump continues to claim immigrants poisoned the blood, echoing Nazi rhetoric. Donald Trump, the Republican presidential frontrunner, said on Saturday that undocumented immigrants, now now you're talking, the least they could put that in, undocumented immigrants were poisoning, this is a quote, poisoning the blood of our country. And uh, so that's the headline. But you can see how 
that the average reader, you know, just, you know, you just, because you passively read, don't you? And you think, or you hear that on the news and you think, oh gosh, Trump, you sound terrible. And that's why people don't like Donald Trump, because they listen to what the media tell them. You know, it's the same with the Bible. <laughs> people hate some of the stuff that's in the Bible because they listen to what other people tell them the Bible says, especially the cults. Now, the main cults are, I'll just tell you who they are so you know, the largest cult in Christianity is the Roman Catholic Church. I think they've got about, I think at last count, they had about 1.6 million followers. That's a, it's a Babylonian goddess worship, and it pretends to be uh, biblical Christianity, but it's not, of course. If you actually read the Bible, that you won't find any of the stuff in there, really. You don't find any of it. Uh, but if you read The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop, you'll see that it, that it actually mirrors uh, the worship of Nimrod and his wife and their son, Tammuz, who was gored by a bull, and Tammuz is actually the cross. That's the, that's the T for Tammuz. It's not a cross. That's why when the Roman Catholics went over to South America, they couldn't understand. That's during the Spanish Inquisition. They couldn't figure it out. How come these guys have got crosses? And they, they, they took to the Catholicism. That's why Rome, you know, um, South America is so full of Roman Catholics. They just took to it so easily because it was very similar to their pagan religion that they brought with them from the Middle East. Of course, the South Americans, all of them, they didn't come from there. They come from the Middle East. Everybody comes from the Middle East. All of us come from the three sons of Noah. And uh, during today's program, we'll also be uh, listening to some archaeologists, I think some Australian archaeologists as well, and just little clips of some of the things they say. Okay, now other headings. Uh, so Trump is poisonous. <laughs> Thousands evacuate in North Queensland as flooding spreads. Australian authorities on Sunday ordered the thousands of people in the north of Queensland state to move to higher ground because of the danger of flooding. And more than 60 immigrants feared drowned off Libya. Uh, 60 immigrants are believed to have drowned in a shipwreck off the coast of Libya, the International Organization for Migration. Boy, there's an industry, isn't it? They would probably want the immigrants to continue to come across, wouldn't they? Otherwise, they wouldn't have an organization. Uh, enemies are driving people to our shores, according to Rishi Sunak. British Prime Minister is pushing for global reforms to asylum system and warn the threat of growing number of refugees could overwhelm parts of Europe. Well, I think, Rishi, it's a bit late for that. I think it already has. And they're coming across from Europe to the UK. And Nigel Farage has been warning us about that, hasn't he, for ages. It's coming up to 15 minutes past five here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. And we're over at RNZ, which you'll find Radio New Zealand, that is. That's the national uh, publication. It's the national radio for uh, it's a state state um, finance, which really means it's paid for by us. And so they give us, we pay for our own propaganda. <laughs> now, Al Jazeera, they're to refer killing of cameramen in Gaza to, uh, as well, sorry, they, they refer killing of cameramen in Gaza to war crimes court. Oh, okay, well, that's very good. Now, look, I haven't looked at this either, so we, we'll discover it together. Al Jazeera is preparing a legal file to send to the International Criminal Court over what it called the assassination of its cameraman in Gaza. And his name is Qatari. Oh, no, he's not. That's where he's from. <laughs> Qatari-based network. That's what they say, Al Jazeera. Now, um, well, if you go into a war zone, you know, you've got a good chance of being killed, haven't you? So they all hate. It's just more hate on Israel, isn't it? Hate, hate, hate. 
hate the Jews. Really, that's the underlying factor of it is that people hate the Jews. Why do they hate the Jews? Well, because they are, because the devil hates them, I suppose. In the Bible, it says they are God's chosen people. Even Christians today really hate them. They, and they also try to take away the authority that God has given that the Jews will be the, um, they are his children and that he's bringing them back into the land from all over the world where he scattered them from. He's punished them, all right, after they crucified Jesus. He was a Jew, of course. He became, came to earth as a Jew. So they crucified him. And uh, so they crucified their, their own Messiah. They didn't see, they couldn't see that in the Old Testament that he had to come to suffer first, that he would come and he would be cut off. Daniel chapter 9 couldn't see that. For some reason, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew, who hated Christians at the start, he, I think they were called them of the way, and he traveled all over the, all over the show trying to you know, round them up. He was on his road, on the way to Damascus, and you'll read that in the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 9, I think. And also he recounts it in chapter 22. It's very interesting. Uh, so he, this is Saul, his name was. Uh, he was a, like a lawyer, I suppose, a, a Jewish lawyer. Came from a good family. I think he was from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul of Tarshish. He was also a Roman soldier as well. And so he was on his way to round up Christians and bring them back and probably kill them. Uh, he he held the coat of a young man. Uh, sorry, he was a young man, and he held the coat of Stephen. He was the first uh, Christian to be killed for um, faith in Jesus Christ. So that was him. But Paul had this um, conversion, really. He was on his way to Syria, to Damascus, to round up some Christians, and the Lord appeared to him. This is after he had already re- he'd returned on a cloud to heaven. And this was after time. I'm not quite sure how long after. Probably a month. Look, I'm not sure. Some people, I mean, I should probably know, but I don't I don't know. I can't remember. Sometime after. So all the apostles were Jews. That's the thing. When people call themselves apostles today, like Brian Tamaki and others, um, really you've got to take that with a grain of salt because apostles are the foundation stones of the church and they're the ones that have actually seen Jesus. And Paul saw him, but outside of his time. Uh, so the Lord returned to him and uh, appeared on that road to Damascus. And he, that was where he had his conversion when he said, um, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Because he was persecuting the church. And of course, Jesus is the head of the church. And so the people, when the people are, are, are persecuted, those that believe in him, uh, you may as well be persecuting Jesus Christ. Anyway, the Jews, they've rejected their Messiah. But Paul, he didn't on that road to Damascus. Probably that would be the only thing. That would have convinced him, actually, the actual Lord appearing. He was so staunch, a staunch um, Jew. Anyway, so that's him. Uh, but as I was saying, a lot of Christians, they don't believe, well, so they profess Christians, but they don't believe the promises. Uh, like, for example, if those who curse the Jewish people, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, those who curse him, they will, God will curse you. Those who bless the Jews... God will bless you. Uh, the Jews had been blessed with a high intelligence, very high Q, high Q. The highest IQ, I think, is the uh, the Ashkenazi Jew, which simply means a German Jew or European Jew, um, kind of very European. And um, the next on the list, for apart from Jews, as far as the IQ would be the Asians. That includes Indians. Um, they're all sons of Shem, one of the three sons of Noah. There was Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Japheth are the pale ones that went north. Uh, Ham are the ones that sort of hung out around Africa. That's where they went. 
And of course their skin darkened, I suppose, over thousands of years because of where they lived. Um, so they didn't get too much vitamin D. God uh, has designed it that way over thousands of years. Otherwise, um, you know, I mean, that's that's the only thing I can, that's just me. This is my idea of what God did. And then the Shemites, probably not quite as hot, uh, sort of more sort of olive skin, kind of dark. I think that the Shemites are getting lighter as they move to more European countries. And that, but that takes thousands of years for your skin to change like that. So we're all the same. The Bible says we're all one blood, but there might be different blood types, so they say. But uh, we're all one blood according to the Bible. But God has given us; He has um, uh, told us our bounds where we are, where we are to live on the earth. Yeah, like Chinese live in China. <laughs> Arabs live in Arabia. It would be good if the Arabs did live in Arabia instead of Europe. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Just live where you, where you come from. And then we'd, I'd love to go and visit China, but now I don't need to. I just go to Auckland, don't I? Just go out to um, uh, Full Moon Bay or Chowick, don't I? <laughs> you racist, Grant. You xenophobic. Oh, well, well, perhaps I am. Perhaps I am. I don't know. Is that, is that a sin? I don't hate them. I just wish they'd live in their own country. But um, I, I guess, in a way, Barry Smith actually has changed my mind a little bit. He's the preacher who's now gone to be with the Lord. He says, hmm, he says, look, if you went over to Saudi Arabia or you went to an, a Muslim country to preach to them, I'd cut your head off. And he's right. He said, now they come to us. And so we can preach to them here. Well, for the time being, we can preach to them here without getting a head cut off. But times will change. As you get more and more uh, foreigners coming into your country, they, they will begin to dominate. And without a constitution, a written constitution, then your country will eventually become whoever you bring in the most so if we and we're not breeding we're not breeding not a very nice thing to say about human beings we're not having as many children not like animals are we uh so we're not having as many and uh, probably i think in italy they'd be the worst i think it's about 1.3 or 1.6 children per family so they're not going to survive but and the muslims they're sort of moving into europe like in in and um they are multiplying. I think on average I read a report somewhere that uh, they have around about five wives because that's how many they're allowed. And on average, Muslim families, are they have eight children. And so it would be not very long. I would say by 2030, 2040, um, definitely by 2050, uh, Europe, if, nothing, if things don't change in Europe, it will become an Islamic state. And it could happen here too, without a, con- a written constitution. And they say, well, we've got a written constitution, but because we don't know what it means, because you'd need to be a constitutional lawyer to figure it out. But and we, we're not, are we? And even the constitutional lawyers, they don't really know. <laughs> They're all debating with one another. We just need something simple like they've got in America. And even then, uh, they struggle, don't they, over there with people, you know, trying, words don't have, have the same meanings. <laughs> it's the um, the way they change the meanings of words around. But if we had this written constitution here in New Zealand, then we could bring in whoever we wanted. We could completely change the fabric. Of course, we never they never ask us, they just do it. And it's all about money. So they think we'll just bring in whoever's going to work. Never mind whether we've got uh, enough infrastructure like schools and hospitals and roading networks, that sort of thing, to cope with the influx of of uh, migrants coming to New Zealand. But, um, you know, so where are we going to house them all and and all the jobs? And we've got perfectly able people here, but what we've done here, and I think it's a globalist trick, they, they, want, to, they want us to not work uh, so that we can be dependent on the government. I think that's the plan. It's very expensive. It puts the country into, into hock. 
which is, you know, we, we go broke. Uh, so those, it puts a lot of burden on the ones that do want to work. They have to pay huge amounts of money in tax just to keep everybody, uh, you know, stop them from starving. Of course, the globalists, eventually their their long-term plan is to kill off about, well, most of us. <laughs> they want oh, probably half a billion people left on Earth. And what's happening now is with the um, with all the things like the fresh water, that uh, that the nationals said they're going to turn turn around. Actually, and they still haven't done that. They've done a bit of a U-turn, apparently, according to uh, Bryce McKenzie. Um, so yeah, so they're I sort of lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, the globalists, yeah, they want to get rid of us, and what we're actually doing is we're paying for, we're actually setting it all up for them. So these wonderful global, these wonderful billionaires can just have this paradise. And so we all live in a sort of a ghetto in town, and they've given it a nice name so that, you know, we think we're happy. They they call it a smart city, so it's a smart thing to do, you know, <laughs> a bit like the smart card. It's a smart thing to do. That's how they encourage you. They give it a nice fancy name. It's 24 minutes past five, too, by the way. Thanks for joining me. Um, mm, yeah, so half a billion people left and so that means that a lot of us are going to die. I wonder how they do that. I suppose you could inject everybody with some sort of a toxin, I suppose. But you wouldn't want to do it all at once, otherwise people would sort of wake up, wouldn't they? And go, oh, they're trying to kill us. You just, I think I, if I was, if I put my evil cap on, I would, uh, I would give them a vac. I pretend it's really good for them. It'll stop them from getting sick, and I give them a vaccine of some sort to stop some virus, which is, you know, I'd, I'd invent a virus. And I'd use sort of um, a testing regime that made it sound worse than it really was, and old people would die. I would actually give them, you know, drugs like remdesivir and others, which is still pushing here in New Zealand, actually, and another one as well, which is really bad. And yeah, I'd basically just um, kill them off with a with a with a jab. I would just inject some poisons and toxin into them, because I don't really think you can. I don't really believe there are biological weapons. I think they've tried to have biological weapons. I think all there are is chemical weapons, but no biological weapons because they've, they've they've tried all. There's no actual evidence for that. And Dr. Sam Bailey over at drsambailey.com, uh, she talks about that about bio- biological weapons, about viruses. Do they really exist? And also about things like antibiotics. Do they actually work? Where's the actual evidence that they work? They, they like to say they do. But they like to tell us lies, don't they? <laughs> wonder why they tell us lies. I don't know. 26 minutes passed. And um, yeah, it's, um, I think it's going to be a reasonable day, isn't it? As far as um, weather is concerned. But let's, uh, let's see. I said around about half past I'd look at the main centre. So I'll be back in a minute and I'll give you the weather for the main centres. And uh, then what will I do? I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. I don't know. Maybe you have to give me a call and tell me what I should do next. Should I play music or should I just jibber-jabber? I don't know. Um, I find it quite difficult because I am dyslexic. <laughs> I find it hard to read the news. I have to work a wee bit harder. And um, But I'm sort of training myself, forcing myself to actually do it. I think you can. You can do it. I think, you know, if you've got any sort of a disorder at all, I think you can overcome it. Um, my parents said that I was vaccine injured, that something happened to me when I was quite little. All of a sudden I um, stopped asking questions and wasn't as bright as I normally was. And my parents said um, said that, and I said to them, and see, like right now I'm having trouble stringing a sentence together. 
<laughs> my yeah, that's what they said. And I and I do do remember not being able to think. I used to have lots of thoughts, and I remember not being able to think of those same thoughts anymore. And I remember being a bit disappointed um, because I used to look forward to waking up and thinking, <laughs> but, but then I couldn't think anymore. Um, all right, well, we'll come back and we'll check out the main centre weather. I wonder if I, look, I'm only I'm saying that, but I don't know if I've actually got it. But um, that's what they do in the real radio station, so I'll, I'll see if I can do the same. Now, if I just find the turntable, there's the only trouble with um, an you know with a, a turntable that's on your computer. Sometimes I lose it. <laughs> I'm not sure where it is. Okay, so I'll be back in a moment. This is not a war between Israel and Hamas. This is very misleading. Hamas didn't initiate all of that by itself. This is a war between Iran and the Western values. And Iran, in the past decade, built its capabilities to create a multi-front campaign against the state of Israel from various fronts, meaning Yemen, which is already active, Gaza, West Bank, Lebanon, Syria, even Iraq, and maybe even inside Israel. This is what they want, okay? The capabilities exist in most of these places. Hezbollah, excellent example. The firepower of Hezbollah is 10 times more than the firepower of Hamas. Oh, very good, very good. Okay, well, look, I'm, I'm haven't done this before, so I'm struggling a wee bit to find out the main centres. I wonder if I could just look at the main centres. I've got marine, rural. We don't really want that, do we? Maps and radar. We've got news here, maybe news. Let's see. I'm over at metservice.com. Uh, wow, we no, it's all lots of writing there, lots of scary writing, lots of words, <laughs> a bit intimidating. Uh, what do they say? Gosh, Monday. No, that's got 11th of December. Oh, we're way, we're way away there. Well, I could just click on them, I suppose. We could start up north, shall we? Should we start at Dargaville? I mean, that's a main centre, isn't it? Well, I suppose Wangare is probably more main centre. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go to Wangare and have a look at them. Wangare or Whangare, however you like to say it. No, that's W way down the bottom there. Wellington, Wainui, Amata. I can't find Oh, well, uh, they've missed out. There is no there is no weather in Wangarei. They don't have any. Surely, maybe I should have looked at this beforehand. Oh, Wangarei Airport, there we are. I can do that. Let's see what it says. Let's see what's happening there today. Well, it's 18 degrees. They Apparently, they had a wee bit of rain overnight. It's just going to be partly cloudy today and nice and sunny this afternoon and a bit cloudy in the evening. <laughs> it's currently 16.9. Feels like 17, they say. You want to wear one layer of clothing? <laughs> Light winds, 11 kilometres from the west, gusting 19 kilometres, no rain, humidity 93. Oh, it's a bit in depth, isn't it? A bit in depth. A pollen forecast, I mean, what do you want to know? <laughs> Text me and tell me what you want to know. No, I'll have to prepare something a bit better than this. Uh, no, no, that's no good. What do we got here? Oh, here we go. Here we go. These, um, oh, that's yesterday's extremes. No, we won't do that. I think I'll, I think I'll forget about that and we'll go back to news, shall we? Should we stay with news? So we've got that report, the Palestinian media, media reports dozens killed in Israeli strikes. Well, you know, um, it's a war, isn't it? And people are going to get killed. And um, lots of people were killed. In, lots more Germans were killed than English were killed. So does that mean that the Germans were right and the English were wrong? The British, the Allies, were we all wrong in defending the country against Adolf Hitler? Defending, defending the world, actually, against him? And and uh, the other Nazis and uh, who else have we got there? Mussolini, who was the um, Italian dictator. Were we right in defending us? Were we wrong to do that? You know, I think it, I think we were right, weren't we? Um, 
in Israel, does Israel have the right to defend itself? I mean, if they weren't Jews, you'd probably be all, oh, that's good. Oh, no, they've been attacked. We've got, we've got to attack those, those Arabs, you know, which they call Palestinians today. We've got to attack them. Yeah, and you'd be happy about that. But because they're Jews, because they're in the Bible, because, well, I just think it's a spiritual thing. I think people hate the Jews because it's in them. And even Christians pretending. I think Christ, they're pretending Christians, really. I think real, real Christians, they love the Jews. I think there's something really weird going on. They like to say that they're of the synagogue of Satan. They're not the real Jews. And uh, they use that replacement theology, which was a Roman Catholic invention. I'm not sure when they invented it, but when they see the word Israel, the Roman Catholic Church, the conciliar documents, when they see Israel, they think that means the church now because God's done away with Israel. So they read part of the Bible, a bit like the devil. He gives you part of the... He says partly truth, and then he throws in some lies in there as well, because he's the father of lies. The Bible said he controls the whole earth. So therefore, you know, why would we expect anything else other than lies coming out of the Roman Catholic Church, which is the enemy of the Lord's people? Oh, that's right. I was going to tell you about the cults, wasn't I? And then we'll get back to the news. Um, so the main cult, Roman Catholicism. The next one on the list, would, the most dangerous cult, so the largest one would be Catholicism. That's the enemy of the Lord's true Christian, you know, the true Christians and the Jews. That's why Hitler was um, take, following Vatican orders to kill the Jews. Uh, that's why he said to Husseini, that's Yasser Arafat's um, nephew, and he was the Grand Mufti at the time. He traveled to Germany, and Hitler had this meeting, famous meeting. It's on record there in Germany. That it, uh, Hitler said to him, this is not a war of boundaries. This is a war of the annihilation of the Jewish people. Just to get that clear, and old Husseini being an absolutely hating the Jews, Arabs. They're half-brothers of two, by the way. You know that, don't you, the Jews and the Arabs? The Arabs, or Palestinians, they call them today. Um, but these Arabs, they didn't come from Arabia. They went to a place and called it Arabia because there were so many of them where the Arabs went to. But it was Ishmael. He's the father of the Arab nation. Uh, he's a half-brother of Isaac. So Isaac is the Jew. Uh, his father's Abraham. Ishmael, his father is also Abraham, the father of, he's the father of the Jews. He's a half Egyptian, because his mother was Egyptian, and half Jew. So his father was Abraham. They're both claiming the promise of all the land. And it's not just the River Jordan. The promise that God gave uh, to the Jews, not to the, not to the Arabs, it's very clear in the Bible, you just got to read it for yourself and not listen to what other people tell you it says. But, um, the, the promise is very clear. It's not the River Jordan. It's from the River Euphrates all the way through to the Mediterranean Sea and from almost, you know, southern Russia all the way down to northern Africa, pretty close to it. The area is huge. It's going to be Jerusalem, uh, Israel. That's the area that God has given the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, not Ishmael, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So even though Ishmael was the firstborn, he wasn't the child of the promise. The promise was to Sarah, Abraham and Sarah. And God reiterated that in the the Bible, which is true. Thy word is truth. Uh, the first time he said it to Abraham, Abraham never got the land, which is, was Canaan. That was the land. And the reason why he, he wanted to give him Canaan, because the Canaanites and all the ones in there, the Jezebites and all them, they were all filthy people. And they were all just you know, doing wicked things, and God uses your enemies to destroy you, which is what's happening here in New Zealand. 
<laughs> we're naughty, going away from God, and we're going to be destroyed. So anyway, um, so then there was Isaac. The promise was given to Isaac as well. That's the son of Abraham. And then again, uh, Isaac had another a son. He had many sons, but he had one. His name was Jacob. His name was later changed to uh, Israel. And Jacob, he um, he had that same promise. So it's all the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the ones. That's their land. Belongs to them. But of course, everybody else in the world's after it. It's not just Jews and Arabs that want it. You've got Roman Catholics there. They've set up shop. Armenians are there. Um, you know, then there's the uh, um, the sort of evangelical Christians are over there. Apparently not so many as there used to be. Probably getting the Tatars with all the fighting that's going on. <laughs> oh, and by the way, talking about fighting, 140% of reservists, that's Jewish reservists, came from all over the world. Almost 300,000 soldiers turned up after October 7th, after that massacre. Uh, so that just goes to show you people from all over the world, Jews from all over the world. And I remember my father telling me that, because my dad had a shoe store in Roscoe South, and um, there was a man called Jake, Jacob, and he was, I guess, uh, well, I was pretty young. I guess I was probably 13 or 14, 13, I think, when Yom Kippur happened. And Jake would have been in his probably mid, uh, late 20s, I would think, maybe maybe mid-20s. And he got on a plane and flew straight to Israel, and he fought in that war. So, and my dad told me about that because I just remember, where's Jake? He, he owned the fish and chip shop. And uh, I actually visited Jake a while ago. I remember asking him, I remember he was a pretty, um, I don't know, he, he was a, a, bit, a, a bit weary of me when, <laughs> when he first met me. I said to him, oh, where are you from? Because he had a different accent. And he said, what does it matter? You know, he's like this, you know. So I think he was, he was aware of anti-Semitism. And um, so pretty guarded, you know, what does it matter where I'm from, you know? I'm a Kiwa, I'm a New Zealander, like that. I remember that. And uh, so that was good. And I remember one day I was sitting at some friend's place having dinner. And um, a Croatian family, actually. And I remember saying, oh, Barbara Streisand. We're sitting at the table, Barbara Streisand, we took, her name came up. And I said, oh, she's, she's a Jew, isn't she? And the father looked at me and he said what does it matter where she's from you know like that so he was he was very he understood anti-semitism was rife he thought i was being anti-semitic i wasn't at all <laughs> i was i'm far from anti-semitic but they got the impression that maybe i was but from by, by saying that she's a jew isn't she and um yeah i remember him being very uh defensive and very protective of barbara streisand um although you probably wouldn't agree with her, some of her um, politics at the moment, but that was her anyway. Um, it is 26 minutes to 6, and of course we'll have the, um, the wonderful TNT radio news coming up at 6. Um, anyway, so I've started off on some conversations. This is all part of the vaccine injury, folks. Go from one subject to the next and <laughs> forget what I was talking about. Uh, so that's why I need to have something in front of me to, uh, to look at. So here it is. So we're back over on Radio New Zealand. And another story that we've got is the Australian story of the heat wave that they ha that's happening there at the moment. 
Uh, large parts of Australia on Saturday sweltered under the heatwave conditions that prompted the nation's weather forecaster to issue bushfire warnings in several states. And a UK boy found six years after mysteriously vanishing, six years after he disappeared with his mother and his grandfather, Alex Batty, was finally found by a delivery driver in the foothills of the French Pyrenees. Unbelievable, isn't it? That's a story that I might go and have a look at a bit later, and I'll bring that back to you. And a doctor who's... Now, I, I have trouble reading words that got it uh, two um, consonants, <laughs> and, then a, and then a vowel followed by another consonant. So it says... That, oh, maybe it's just a silent N. It's N-C-U-T-I. Gutwar, I've got the end bit. So some dark fellow uh, felt like an alien, he said, growing up. I think it's um, Kuti, I suppose, or Nukuti. I'm no Nukuti Gatwar. Does that sound right? He's made headlines as the first black actor to take the title role on the BBC's Doctor Who. Okay. And he says the experience has been joyous and triumphant. That's right, triumphing over the white people. Matthew Perry... <laughs> Matthew Perry's death was an accident. It was caused by ketamine, uh, according to the coroner. Uh, Friends star, that's the television uh, soap, I guess you'd call it. Uh, He was found unresponsive in his pool. I think it's just one of those spa pools or a jacuzzi sitting in there. So he'd obviously been having some drugs as well. Ketamine, so you like the drugs. I don't know, what what does that do, ketamine? Oh, I suppose I could click on it. No, I can't be bothered. Some drug. Anyway, it gives you a heart attack. Um, Giuliani, he must pay 148, 148 min. Well, I suppose that's million. They don't normally put min. I normally think of M-I-N as minutes. Anyway, they've written 148 min. I guess it's, it can't be million. 148, oh, it's got an L. That's an L. I'm, I'm blind, aren't I? Yeah, uh, it is mill. It's got an, uh, uh, a little L there, but it looked like min. I'm just moving a bit closer. How oh, are they? Oh, it's better. I can see now. Um, to the, he has to pay that to Georgia election workers in defamation trial. Really, the federal judge determined before the trial, before the trial, <laughs> that Giuliani was. So that would, if it's before the trial, that would be prejudicial, wouldn't it? <laughs> this is where we get the word prejudice. So I think he, his case has been prejudiced. Uh, so anyway, the federal judge determined before the trial that Giuliani was liable for defamation, international infliction of emotional stress. Oh, did I say international? I'm really struggling to say it's intentional. <laughs> intentional infliction of emotional stress and civil conspiracy. Oh, well. And then Binder with top secret Russia intelligence missing since end of Trump term source. Oh, boy. Punctuation is a wonderful thing. A binder holding top secret intelligence that contributed to a U.S. assessment of Russia tried to help throw the 2016 U.S. election to Donald Trump has been missing since the last days of his dot, 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 dot. We don't know what the end of it is. I have to click on it. But it looks to me, look, we all know that that's rubbish about the Russian collusion and Trump being an agent of, of Russia and all that. That's It's all rubbish. But, you know, the mainstream media here, the one that we pay for, is still harping on about this garbage. Uh, more news here on Radio New Zealand. And, uh, oh, it's getting on a bit, though. Mm, could be a bit too late. I'll just read a couple more. Three Israeli hostages are killed by friendly fire, according to the IDF. Israeli military has expressed condolences 
for the victims' families. They did. They came in and shot them accidentally. And this, these things happen in war. And it's just terrible. You see, so it's not just it's not just um, Palestinians, so-called um, Arabs, that are being killed, and and reporters from Al Jazeera. Uh, it's very. Easy. It happens all the time. You know, it's, this is war. And you would, I would, I would say this: that the Israelis are probably the most moral and the most um, and care more about the rights of civilians than in a combat in a combat zone than any other army in the world. And I think I'll be backed up in saying that by uh, people that that uh, actually have been there and have watched them operate. Hmm. Okay. So that's news there from Radio New Zealand. And um, yeah, there it is. And I'll be back in a minute. Uh, we won't be doing the main centres because I couldn't find it. But I'll see if I can bring that to you tomorrow, if I make it. <laughs> you just never know, do you? You just never know what tomorrow is going to bring. Gosh, anything could happen. Out fencing on the farm and uh, oh, what could happen? Well, anything. Gosh, I, there's two people that I know that were killed by tractors. Well, the tractor operating. Someone's operating the tractor. The wife was operating the tractor. Apparently, they didn't get on. And he was in the bucket, um, and she had him up high in the bucket, you know, in the front-end loader on the tractor, cutting the tops of the hedges. And um, maybe she just gave the bucket a bit of a shake and shook him out. He fell more than three metres anyway and died. And uh, something else happened. Another lady, she ended up taking over the farm. Her husband, I don't know how they got on. They were post-driving, and he got hit by the, the monkey. That's the thing that comes down and um, bashes the post into the ground. So you do have to be careful on farms. Farms are particularly dangerous places to be, and you've got to keep your wits about you, that's for sure. So, you know, I had a wonderful day yesterday walking around with my bare feet on the farm. I don't normally do that. <laughs> I had bare feet. I wasn't in my bare feet. I had. I took my... I just wore jandals for a while, but they kept. I kept having a, a thong blowout on some of the... Um, that when the ground gets dry, it gets a bit uneven, and my, my thongs kept blowing out. And But then I thought, well, why not? It was nice, lovely grass, so I just walked... And I was just pulling the um, the wires from the um, you know on the what they call a jenny, and uh, so that you can pull that and you sit the the big reel of wire, you sit it sort of on on top of the jenny horizontally, and then you just walk off and hopefully it doesn't get tangled up. <laughs> and I walk you walk it on a few hundred meters, and, and then you tie that off. And I thought, oh, why not? I'll just walk and I'll just earth myself tomorrow uh, today, and I did, and it was great. And um, that's probably why I'm so calm today isn't it possibly 15 minutes to six and uh, so we'll be back in a moment and uh, we'll give you some more news from the publications around the country we have been sold this meme of islamophobia where every criticism of the doctrine of islam gets conflated with bigotry toward muslims as people right that is uh, it's it's intellectually ridiculous even it gets so hold on are you the person who understands the officially codified doctrine of islam you're the uh, interpreter well, of that, so you well, can say, well, I, this I'm, is... Well, I think actually, any, I'm actually well-educated on this topic. I'm, yeah. I'm, actually, well, yes, I, I'm not denying that, that certain people are bigoted against Muslims as people, that, right. and that's a that's problem. big of you. But the... But why we are you have, so hostile to, about this it's, yeah. it's gross. It's racist. It's, it's not. It's, but it's so not. It's, so, it's like saying it's those so you're shifty Jew. You're not listening Absolutely to not. what well, we are saying. You guys are saying, if you want to be liberals, believe in liberal principles, right. like freedom of speech, like, right. um, you know, we are endowed by our uh, forefathers with an inalienable life, like all men are created no. equal. No, Ben, we have to be able to criticize bad ideas. And of course we do. Islam, no liberal doesn't okay, want to okay. criticize bad ideas. But Islam but why at this moment when, is the mother load of bad ideas. Jesus. So we have... That's just a fact. 
So that was Ben Affleck and Sam Harris there having it out in a meeting. And uh, I don't like the blasphemy, but oh, they do it, don't they? Now I've got Lone Star lined up as well. That One of my favourite songs from Lone Star. We'll play that before the news if I don't talk too much. Um, now I need to let you know that a person has died at a beach on Auckland's North Shore. Uh, the person died in the, a water-related incident at Narrow Neck Beach. That's over just around from Devonport. Uh, that was on the North Shore, and the police and the ambulance were called to the beach near Devonport at 10 to 6 last night. A police spokesman said that the person appeared to have suffered a, a medical event in the water, so maybe they were jabbed as well. Lots of people dying. Gosh, they're dying like, dropping like flies, aren't they? And everyone's in denial except us, except us, because we know, don't we? We know that it's probably something to do with that. Just so many people just dropping dead, having heart attacks and strokes and stuff like that. Cancers on the rise. The uh, I think the all-cause mortality rate in New Zealand is 20% higher, which is unheard of. Uh, but everyone's in denial, and uh, we've just got to keep the pressure on, I suppose. A police spokesman said the person appeared to have suffered a medical event in the water. They said the person had either gotten out or been taken out of the water and received medical attention on the shore, but didn't survive. The death will be likely referred to, well, I'm sure it will be, will be referred to the coroner, uh, and who ultimately, yes, of course, they rule when it comes to deaths and things like that, don't they, the coroner? Absolute disaster on Great Barrier Island, apparently. This is an, under environmental, so this will all be to do with um, that calerpa. There's a seaweed there that, that's a, an invasive seaweed. Remember they said that the fan worm was really bad news, and now they're saying it actually is quite helpful. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, Great Barrier Island, the locals call for urgent action to battle the invasive seaweed calerpa. The trouble is they want to stop yachties going there, and that will be bad for business. So I suppose there's people over there that don't mind not having business, but there would be people that would do, I would have thought. Uh, For Great Barrier Islanders, the ocean and what lives in it are deeply entwined in their daily life. Yeah, when you go over there, people just get around on dinghies. You know, they've got these big, quite big dinghies and quite powerful motors, some of them. And that's where they go. They go shopping and that's their vehicle for the day. They go out shopping in that. The water, you don't really go by land much. Most of them go by water, um, I would think, or with most of them. A lot of them do. Yeah, it's quite cool, really. Um, Anyway, so what we've got here, when the tide recedes, a thick green carpet of seaweed is revealed. To put it simply, it's just an absolute disaster. It takes over the seabed. It kills everything. There's just nothing left. Kaumatua Sydney Davis, so that's a Maori elder. That's what he said. Sydney would be a bloke. Um, foreign pest seaweed calerpa washes up daily from where it was taken hold out across the sea floor. How it arrived in New Zealand is still unknown. In one area, authorities estimate it covers 80 hectares. Is that just in the barrier? I suppose that's just the barrier. Calerpa is well established in Okupu Beach. There are swathes of it washed up at low tide and it's thick like a mat. And you can see how this is smothering the sea floor. Locals say efforts by authorities to slow the spread of Kalerpa have been weak. I think we dropped the ball on this. We really did. Unprepared. It's funny way of talking. And not, this is a quote, and not really too sure what to do. Aotea Great Barrier Environmental Trust, Barry Scott said. 
Scott said that the failure to coordinate an action plan has resulted in the Ministry of Primary Industries, that's MPI, concluding Kalerpa now cannot be eradicated. So if it can't be eradicated, don't worry about it. Just see see what the ocean does. Just see what she does. You'll be surprised how things just just all get along. Everything just happens. I remember there was a massive flood and all this. Um, it was a couple of years ago, and it was over near uh, some friends of ours at um, a place called Tom uh, Tamataral, which is just around the coast on your way out to um, McLeod's Bay from Whangarei, and they had the hillside. There must have been some works going on up there, I think, too. A lot of building happening. But all the the stream burst and all this mud. It was actually clay, sort of that that yellowy clay. Just came down the streams and burst and went right across the road, smashed fences and made a heck of a mess. And it went out to sea, went out to the to the bay. And you think, and it was just squelchy. You know, just you're just walking around in this squishy, squashy just squelchy clay between your toes. And I thought, how is that ever going to repair? But it did. It just You wouldn't even know that it ever happened now. The sea is a wonderful heal. It can heal itself. That's the way God set it up, you see. So um, so it says, I think it's kind of reflects for many governments, the fo- for many governments, the focus on our agriculture, forestry, foot and mouth, those sorts of things in oceans forgotten. Incredible writing. Incredible. This is his quote. I, I can't make head nor tail of what he's talking about. But anyway, it's all just all these words all thrown in together. They just quote you. <laughs> MPI is taking action to stop the spread, but allowances have been made to allow the community here to still fish. Many rely on ocean as the cost, cost of living crisis bites. Absolutely. Aotea, Great Barrier Island, is that what they call it? I thought they were supposed to just go back to the to the British names. I thought they dropped all that. They're calling it Aotea. Oh, okay. All right. Aotea, well, we'll, we'll, go, we'll stick with it. Great Barrier Island is heading into summer with an anchoring ban. Oh, that's no good. See, that's not going to be good for the little businesses over there that rely on people getting hamburgers and, you know, going to the shops and uh, the boaties, yeah, and getting things fixed, filling up with fuel. It's much more expensive over there because they have to, tank it in, you put it on a, bring it in, in, in containers, I think, or maybe they have a tanker, I'm not sure, um, but it costs more to get it over there, um, yeah, uh, in this area, highlighted in red, oh, what red, oh, there must be a map here, is there, I want to travel up, no, I can't see it, it says it's highlighted in, in red, but I can't see anything there, uh, fishing that makes contact with the sea floor is banned, so no fishing, However, line fishing, drift fishing, spear fishing, and diving are permitted. Oh, that's good. Thank goodness for that. In the yellow area, which there is no map here, <laughs> um, anchoring is allowed, but but a permit must be obtained from MPI. Oh, that's ridiculous, isn't it? See, I just think it's all about the government controlling us, just us getting used to the idea of being controlled, having to get permits. I mean, that's what the fresh waters thing's all about. With the um, the farmers, they're going to stop you from up in Northam there. 40% of the farms, if this goes ahead, and National said that they're not going to let it go ahead, but 40% of the farms won't be able to be farmed because they're over 25 degrees. And so they'll, they'll have to be, stock will have to be taken off though, uh, from those areas. No more stock, no more cattle, no more sheep, no more llamas, or <laughs> whatever you want to run on them. I don't know whether they'll let you run a horse on it. Probably not. I'd say not. 
and um, then what else will happen? Then you'll have to do replanting, but we have to pay for it. And uh, then uh, down in the waterways, even if it doesn't run all year round, it has to be 10 metres. There has to be a fence 10 metres from the waterway, either side of it. So that's 20 metres in total, either side. So if, so you think, okay, we'll just farm the flats. And you say, like, for example, uh, a friend of mine's farm up north, they've got about 100 acres. And um, so that would mean, I would say a good portion of that, I would say probably only 30 acres would be uh, farmable. Um, maybe maybe 30 or 40 acres would be sort of flats. And so that's all they'd have. But then they'd have to put the 10 metre fence where the water, because there's always, you know, down in a valley on the flats, there's always a stream, isn't there? And there is on this particular farm. And of course, uh, so now instead of just being a metre away, it has to be 10 metres away. So they really are making it difficult for farmers to farm. And so I think they want farmers not to farm. And I think they just want farmers to set up, set it all up and put all the, do all the planting and all that and beautify it and all make it look lovely for the, for the rich globalists, the half a billion that are left on earth once we've all been killed off, moved into smart cities and killed off. <laughs> That's why we need to become Christians, folks, because the future is not bright, uh, but it is bright. It is a bright future because God's got other plans. And he's going to stop the globalists from doing what they're doing. Actually, in the end, he wins. Our guy wins. If you read, if you read the back of the Bible, we win here. The the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes back and and he thwarts their plans of world domination. So um, we're going to have a theocracy. Uh, there won't be any democracy. Uh, there won't be any uh, republic. It'll be a theocracy, and the Lord Jesus Christ will be running the show from Jerusalem. It's all about everything's all about Jerusalem. Anyway, so that's the Great Barrier Island thing, and um, so it's um, obviously a problem there, so boaties probably won't be able to go there. Now, um, we're back with, that's, that's what else have we got? Search and rescue dog handlers, hone skills in preparation for busy summer season. Yes, because people will be out tramping and all that sort of stuff, won't they? So they've got the dogs ready to go. So there's a, a bit of a story over there about, um, about the search and rescue dog. Aren't they lovely? Lovely Alsatians. They used they call them Alsatians in New Zealand because um, the German Shepherd. They didn't like the sound of that. <laughs> I thought they were two different breeds, but no. So they just basically they're German Shepherds, and we call them Alsatians just just so we didn't upset people. I probably so that people would still buy them. I think still look after them. Wairau Mayor launches urgent investigation into the river's destruction of homes during Cyclone Gabrielle. Hmm. And that's uh, pretty much all that we've got over at Radio New Zealand. Now, oh, hang on, that, I was at News Hub then. Sorry about that. Sorry, News Hub. So that was the, the person that was found in the water at uh, Narrowneck Beach. That's a News Hub story. So from there on, uh, moving over to the Herald, and one of the greatest catches ever stars unbelievable feat in ODI win. Other headlines, life-threatening Cairns Airport, Cairns Airport underwater as flash floods hit Queensland. And the future of potential is gone Scientists fear for vital work amid huge job cuts. Oh, yeah, that's true. Angry and mean. Matthew Perry's final days before death, they say. Reports show how Perry's addiction had taken charge in the last days before his death. So he got a bit, a bit upset. You yeah, best to leave the drugs alone, folks. <laughs> don't, don't get hooked on drugs. They don't help. Pharmaceutical drugs, they don't help either. They give you... They give you sort of, they just numb you down. They basically just like taking an aspirin. You need to know if you're in pain. That's the body's way of saying, hey, I've got something wrong. You need to sort it. You need to get it fixed. And uh, if you're, you know, suffering some mental anguish from something that's happened in your life, 
uh, or quite often I believe that the, mo- the most of the problems that we have are actually when people, uh, their doctors give them pharmaceutical tranquilizers. That's really what they are. They're tranquilizers, um, things like Prozac and stuff like that as well. That's the worst thing you can do. The best thing for you to do is to basically just um, uh, eat better, exercise more, uh, and force yourself to get out of bed in the morning and not stay in bed all day because that's, that's, that's one of the things. You need your vitamin D, and that will help depress you even more if you don't get enough vitamin D. You need those vitamins, and uh, yeah, so you've basically just got to fight on through it, don't you? And um, stay away from those psychobabble people as well. They just talk a load of nonsense, and uh, really quite satanic, I think, all those psychiatrists. So psychiatry, they give you the drugs, the sorcery, and uh, the psychologists, they just talk nonsense to you and make you all confused. Just get your Bible out and read your Bible, um, read the Psalms, they'll make you happy and read the Proverbs, that'll straighten you out <laughs> that's what I say anyway, well it's 6 o'clock and we've got radio, uh, TNT radio news coming up very shortly um, so we'll cross over to that now and uh, then I'll be back with another weather update in uh, in just a moment yes in just one moment please oh that's a bit long, I can't play that one I wonder if I've got a little short one I might be able to play. Here we go. I'll play that. Smokers that had a high omega-3 index, so they were smoking, but they were also eating a lot of fish, supplementing with fish oil. They had an 8% omega-3 index. They had the same life expectancy as non-smokers with a low omega-3 index. In other words, smoking was like being deficient in omega-3. I was just like, I was blown away by that. Like, Go to episodes at TNTradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. Recapping some of the news that shaped the past week, I'm Matt Boyland. The Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives rejected Ukraine's pleas for more cash. Ukrainian leader Volodymyr Zelensky was in Washington this week, where he met with lawmakers and House Speaker Mike Johnson on Tuesday. He's wanting Congress to approve an additional $60 billion for Kyiv, President Biden had requested Congress free up the cash last week, but the bill was blocked and Mike Johnson wasn't swayed by Zelensky's latest demands. The Speaker saying that while the US stands with Ukraine in its fight with Russia, Congress would not be greenlighting any more cash for the country until President Biden amends his bill to include funding to secure the US's own southern border. Johnson says the U.S.-Mexico border is a catastrophe, citing 12,000 illegal crossings just last Wednesday alone and said nearly 280 known terrorists have been apprehended. None of this counts the gotaways. If you add the numbers up, it's almost 7 million people who have been encountered at the border just since President Biden took office and at least 2 million gotaways. The American people see this, they feel it acutely, they see all the terrible societal ills that come from this. The Speaker has also sought clarity from the White House on its strategy in Ukraine, but says so far the Biden administration has refused to give him any straight answers. What the Biden administration seems to be asking for is billions of additional dollars with no appropriate oversight, no clear strategy to win. So I've made this very clear again from the very beginning when I it was handed the gavel. We needed clarity on what we're doing in Ukraine and how we'll have proper oversight of the spending of precious taxpayer dollars of the American citizens. And we needed a transformative change at the border. Thus far, we've gotten neither. Meanwhile, after failing to win over the House Speaker, Ukraine's president appeared on Fox News, where sticking true to his style, Zelensky begged Western leaders to put his needs above their own. Don't travel through the world each day. Travel to the front line. Ask people 
as soldiers what they need. Do this, not build roads for today. Don't do it. Spend all your money to the weapon, to the drones, to the society, to the pensions, and etc. And don't cry. We have only one enemy. This is Putin. And that's it. Also, making news this week, the UN General Assembly demanded an immediate ceasefire in Gaza following an overwhelming vote on Tuesday. Of the 193 member states that make up the UN, 153 of them voted in favour of the non-binding resolution, highlighting much of the world's desire to bring the bloody conflict to an end. The result also underscoring the isolation of Israel and the US, which last week blocked a ceasefire resolution in the Security Council. One of Australia's largest retailers, JB Hi-Fi, is being sued, accused of charging customers extra for benefits they already receive for free. A class action lawsuit's been lodged in Victoria's Supreme Court, accusing the giant of breaking the law by selling junk extended warranties and care plans to its customers when shoppers down under are already covered by Australian consumer law. The lawsuit claims the company's been ripping off customers for more than a decade. Lawyers say the retailer engaged in misleading and deceptive conduct and are now seeking compensation with hundreds of thousands of customers potentially owed millions. In brief, Israel has been accused of manipulating the media by allegedly staging the mass surrender of Hamas fighters in Gaza. And a Turkish member of parliament suffered a fatal heart attack on live television on Tuesday. Hassan Bitmez was speaking out against Israel, warning the country would suffer the wrath of Allah when seconds later the politician collapsed into cardiac arrest. He later died in hospital. This has been Matt Boyland for TNT Radio. I'll be back with more at the top of the next hour. Thank you, Matt. And it's five minutes past six. Five past six with Grant Edwards here at Liberty NZ Breakfast. Thank you for joining me. Now, that um, that fellow there talking about Allah had a heart attack and died, was it? Or had a cardiac arrest? Yeah. No, oh, nasty. I wonder if he was jabbed. That's, that's what we think, isn't it? And it probably was, and that's probably what's caused it. Uh, but of course, everyone's in denial. People, they're dropping dead like flies. And as I was saying before the news, and I did promise you Lone Star, didn't I? Sorry about that, so I will try and play it. I know, because I know you love it. <laughs> I will try and play it this hour. But um, as I was saying before the news, yes, uh, what was I saying? I was saying lots of things before the news. Um, the, the Everyone's in denial, aren't they? They're all in denial. Lots of people dying. New Zealand, we have um, 20% all-cause mortality increase, 20% higher than usual, something going on there. And if I put my evil cap on, oh, this is what I was going to tell you, um, I wouldn't kill you all at once. <laughs> I, would, I would just, um, I would have certain batches. <laughs> oh, oh, funny, that's what's happened, isn't it? Certain batches are, would be more deadly. They'd be the killer shots. And uh, but you'd all be you'd all get the jab, and of course it'll all eventually kill you. And people would think that oh look I'm fine, nothing's happened to me, and that encourages other people to go and get vaccinated, doesn't it? Get jabbed, jabberoonied, and um, next thing you know you've got you know you've, you uh, over a few years, quite a few years. Take a few years to get rid of everybody, I would think, and also lower the population as well. So it'll be um, apparently. Um, uh, women are having trouble having babies now as well, all those ones that have been jabbed. Uh, so that probably affects that. I would say that it's all designed. I'd say they've been working on this for decades, actually. How can we reduce the world's population? Well, we'll pretend there's a virus and we'll, and we'll give them this toxic, we'll actually poison them. We'll inject this poison into them that will eventually just slowly reduce the world's population. And while they're doing, and they'll pay for it in their taxes. And while they're dying, we'll get them to pay 
for uh, to beautif- beautify our world, natural um, areas, areas of uh, of uh, national significance. Those that will just give it an, a lovely name like that, fresh water, all that sort of stuff. And so we'll make it so that farmers um, they'll be beautifying the land for us, ready for us the half a billion that are going to be left, which will be the rulers of the earth. That's what they think. But of course, God's got other plans, hasn't he? All right, now let's move across to weather. And we're looking at weather from the Met Service. And I've kind of lost my place a little bit, so I'll just go back. Uh, I was trying to find news from, you know, weather news from main centres, but I can't find it. Napier actually is the highest temperature at the moment, 19.9 degrees. Uh, Tiano has 2.9. It's pretty cold, isn't it, down there? I suppose it's by the lake. Oh, gosh, that's freezing. I wouldn't want to be camping in Tiano. I have camped in Tiano, I think. I think so. Uh, Castle Point's the windiest, but not terribly windy, 30 kilometres per hour. And Taramanui, it's still pouring down there, but uh, not uh, overly, 2 millimetres of rain. Temperatures right across the main city, uh, main centres rather, are pretty much double-digit figures. Very warm in the north. Down south, it's not quite so warm. The highest temperatures are around about um, 16 degrees in Nelson. Blenheim's cooled off a wee bit there. was a wee bit warmer earlier. Now it's cooler. Chatham's are still sitting on 16, Chatham Islands. Invercargill's still a bit cold at 6 degrees. Everywhere else is double digits, though. Uh, up in the north, uh, it's pretty warm up there. Tauranga's, uh, well, Gisborne's probably one of the highest, 19 degrees. And Napier, they've got almost 20. Okay. It's eight minutes past six, and uh, let's look at that short forecast for the whole country. For Northland, Auckland and Coromandel, cloud increasing, isolated afternoon and evening showers. For Waikato, Waitomo, Bay of Plenty, Tapo and Taramanui, scattered rain turning to showers this afternoon, but clearing from Waitomo. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, mainly fine, scattered afternoon and evening showers, and they're becoming cloudy. For Taranaki to Wellington, including Taihapi, also Wairarapa, patchy drizzle, clearing this morning and then mainly fine, but isolated afternoon showers about the ranges. For Marlborough, Nelson, Buller and Westland, areas of morning cloud and then fine weather. Isolated showers returning from the, about the ranges in the afternoon and evening. For Otago and northern Otago rather, and Canterbury, cloudy with patchy morning drizzle and then mainly fine, but isolated afternoon and evening showers about the ranges. For Westland, Fiordland and the remainder of Otago and Southland, mainly fine weather. And for the Chathams, cloud, uh, cloudy, occasional drizzle developing this morning. The extended forecast for Tuesday in the North Island, partly cloudy with isolated showers, but mainly fine in the west. For the South Island tomorrow, Generally fine, but areas of morning cloud. For Wednesday in the North Island, mainly fine, but isolated showers in the north and the Bay of Plenty. In the South Island on Wednesday, fine for most, but cloud increasing in the south, with rain developing in Fiordland and coastal Southland. On Thursday in the North Island, mainly fine, but isolated showers in the north and Bay of Plenty. For the South Island on Thursday, rain in the south and a few showers developing elsewhere, mainly fine for Buller. Friday for the North Island, fine apart from a few showers developing, especially in the east and South Island, showers on Friday, mainly in the south and in the west. And for the Chathams, your long-range forecast, the odd shower early uh, and then breaks to on Tuesday, the odd early shower, then fine breaks. Oh, I beg your pardon, I don't know how I got all that so wrong <laughs> on Tuesday. 
uh, with southerlies dying out. Cloudy periods on Wednesday and then a few showers developing on Thursday as northerlies turn to southwest. Early showers clearing on Friday to mainly fine. There we are. How about that? That's yeah, good. Oh, well, are you enjoying yourself? How's it all going today for you? At 11 minutes past six, it's all going well. Why don't we go to um, back to the news, shall we? Let's do that. And I am at the Herald, aren't I? And we're looking at um, oh, some stories here. Justin, life-threatening uh, Cairns Airport underwater as a flash flood hits Queensland. And injured man turns to Kerry Kerry Police Station. What is it? Oh, he turns up at Kerry Kerry Police Station. We'll go and look at all these stories in a minute. And what else have we got there? Watch one of the greatest catches ever. Stars unbelievable feat at the ODI. That would be cricket, I would think. And Kaikoura soars to 32 degrees. 30 plus temperatures tipped this week. Severe thunderstorm warning is, has been lifted. And one person dead after a water-related incident at Narrow Neck Beach in Auck- yeah, Auckland. That's on the North Shore. And Young Tun carries, what's Young Tun? Carries black caps to comfortable win. Young Ton, maybe it's Yong, Yong Ton might be a Chinaman, is it? I don't know, possibly. Is it, oh, is it rude? Is it bad to say Chinaman? I mean, he's a man from China, isn't he, originally? If he is, if it is Wang Wang Yong Yong Ton, let's go and I'll better have a look. Get that right. Can't be ignorant all your life, Grant. So it says here, New Zealand versus Bangladesh. Oh, he's a Bangladeshi, maybe. First ODI. Will Yong Ton? Will Yong Ton carries black cap to comfortable win? So his name must be Will. It's got a British name there, William, and then Yong Tong. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Uh, it says here, Russian Ravindra, homecoming innings, lasted two balls. The batter he squeezed out of the first choice, 15, had a much happier return after his opening partner fell for a duck. What's a duck? A duck. Is it like a seagull or something? Probably not. What's a duck? I don't even know. I don't know about cricket. I found, found it was like watching the grass. I mean, I once had a bit of a fiddle with it. I remember when I was really little, they let me put the they put those things on your legs, you know, the padding on your legs, and they let me have a bit of a go when I was little. But I never really got into cricket. It seemed seemed kind of the nerdy the nerdy kids were cricketers. None of my friends played cricket. We played softball. I was a pitcher. Yeah, I was okay at batting, but I was I did the pitching. I was quite good then. Um, back in the day, back when I was a young fella. So I don't know about you, but I don't really want to read about cricket. Is it okay if we don't read about cricket? I find it a bit boring, really. 14 minutes past six. What other news have we got here? I did say I'd come back to something, didn't I? What was that I was going to come back to? Let's go back. Now I've completely lost everything. Oh, gosh, where is it all? It's disappeared. Uh, maybe it's further down. Here we are. These are the top stories. These are the ones just in. Oh, here's another one's just come in. Stephen, uh, his name is Altridge. And Opie Bossom hit racing milestones. I wonder what that's about. Is that is it racing? What sort of racing is that? Oh, horse racing. There we are. Madam at a trainer had a beaming smile after watching his godson, Opie Bossom, join the 2000 Domestic Winds Club when he won the opener at Tarapaha on the Dazzling Move. That must be the name of it. To Strike. Oh, that must be the whole name. The Dazzling Move to Strike. It is. That's an interesting name for a horse. Um, so what has he got here? Um, Aldridge edged closer to the milestone of his own when talented filly still 
bang on won the $100,000. That's the Lawnmaster Eulogy Stakes at Trentham after a smart ride by Tegan Newman. So that's Tegan would be a girl, I would think, so it must be a female jockey. It was my 98th black-type winner, so you can guess what my goal is, offers Aldridge. Plenty of those black-type wins came when Aldridge was training for Tiakao. That must be the the um, that must be the stables, is it? Oh no, training for Tiakao, whose filly, my lips are sealed, <laughs> was runner-up to still bag on on Saturday. Aldridge only trains fifteen horses these days. That's enough, isn't it? Gosh, I I had two, and it was enough. <laughs> 15. You'd have to have a few workers, I would think. Still bag on could be the filly to get him to the 100 black type wins. What's a 100 black type win? I don't know. I did a bit of harness racing, but I don't know much about the old galloping. They love watching them, though, don't you? Love watching them go. But the man to, who knows all about it would be Michael uh, Gurin, and he's over at radio, uh, television, no, not television, uh, the New Zealand Herald. Go over there and have a look at him, and you will see. Uh, he will give you all the inf- the lowdown at uh, uh, NZ. It's uh, nzherald.co.nz. Okay, uh, now there's some other little stories here that look interesting. I wonder if I should look at that. Mum Grimm's uh, Grin Online search before... What's this? Mum's Grin Online search before two tiny bodies found. Judge rejects plea deal. What is that? Is that New Zealand? More killings. Um, oh, that's in Pennsylvania. Oh, don't, we don't need to know about that. Lots of lots of killing going on in Pennsylvania. Okay, so I'm, now I'm completely lost in this story. Uh, I've got to find my way back to the beginning. Um, we we could go over to stuff and have a look at that. It's uh, what's the time now? Seventeen past. How about how about this? How about I the the song that I've been promising, which is Lone Star. How about I play that, and then that'll give me time to figure out what I'm going to do next instead of me flipping around here. Now where's Lone Star gone? Where are you, Lone Star? Oh, there you are, way down there, buried. So we'll be back with Lone Star in just a minute. Dad? What is it, honey? I've got something to tell you, and I'm kind of nervous. Nervous about what? Nervous that you might not accept me anymore or love me for who I am. Oh, sweetheart, don't be silly. Tolerance is my number one virtue signal. You can tell me anything. I've been thinking about something a lot, and it's really confusing, and I just... I. What is mom doing? Oh, your mother's just planning for her gender reveal party. But this is her 19th one. I can't wait to find out what I am. So dad, what I need to tell you is that I... I think that I'm... a Christian. (gasps) But dad, you don't need to wear that. Christianity is not contagious. (laughs) Look at what you're doing to your mother. A Christian? You're not going to start praying, are you? (laughs) Are you? Oh, well, this is Lone Star. This is the one I've been promising you since 5 o'clock. Beautiful song. Hope you enjoy it. Marvelous. Great voice. Let's be us again. Tell me what I have to do tonight Cause I'd do anything to make it right Let's be us again Sorry for the way I lost my head I don't know why I said the things 
things I said Let's be us again Here I stand Some way that we can try to be us again, even if it takes a while. I wait right here until I see that smile that says we're us again. Here I Star. Let's be us again. It's 22 minutes past six here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. And I hope you're having a wonderful day. The sun is up. Sun is shining and uh, looks quite good where I am here looking out over the hills. A little bit of um, a bit misty where I am in the valley. Anyway, uh, it's not doesn't look too bad. Now, uh, so I've um, if you, if there's anyone over on uh, Rumble, we're on Rumble. I think we might be on Twitter as well. I don't seem to have many. Haven't got many followers on Twitter, so that's probably a bit of a waste of time. But we thought we'd do it just to see if we can. Uh, and you'll see the SNAs over there, and um, also the freshwater rules, the Ute tax, and the methane tax. They're some of the main. They're four of the main um, main promises that the government made. 
that's the coalition, they're the ones that they made that they will repeal. Basically, the farmers want this repealed. So they've got 86 days and six hours left in 36 minutes. <laughs> they said they'd do it in the um, in 100 days. And so they still, the, the um, significant natural areas, that's still not yet been repealed. The freshwater rules, it seems like they've done a bit of a U-turn on that and they might not be going to repeal that. So that still has to be done. The youth tax, they have repealed that. That happened on the 14th of December last week. And the methane tax, they haven't repealed that as well. So the new coalition government has made big promises. Their agricultural and rural policies were pretty close to spot on. But promises are only worth the paper they're written on uh, until they're put into action. So they haven't been put into action yet. And we need to get them put into action. And so the three that need to do that are the three there, David Seymour, you can see. Uh, we've got uh, Christopher Luxon, who's the Prime Minister. And the deputy at the moment is Winston Peters. Uh, and then, of course, after about 18 months, I think, uh, David Seymour, he will be taking over. And will they deliver on their promises? Uh, probably not all of them, I would think. Probably not. Uh, that's my experience of politicians. <laughs> okay. Uh, now let's have a look and see what happened on this day in history. It's come 24 minutes past six. And uh, on this day, the 18th of December, in New Zealand, women cabin, women's cabin crew, they win an anti-discrimination case. Air New Zealand was found to be in breach of the Human Rights Act after more than a decade of female cabin crew pan- campaigning for the same opportunities as male workers uh, at the airline. Hmm. And uh, so I'll just click on that one there and give you a few more details. Uh, And it says here, on the 18th of December 1988, the Equal Opportunities Tribunal ruled that Air New Zealand had breached the Human Rights Commission Act of 1977 by not offering female cabin crew the same opportunities for promotion as their male co-workers. The tribunal declared that the female flight attendants could take claims for damages totaling $1.5 million to the High Court. The decision came after a decade of discussion, agitation and court orders involving Air New Zealand, flight attendants and their union. The case proved to be a landmark event for women's rights in New Zealand. During the 1960s and 70s, attitudes towards women and work had changed, including in the rapidly evolving aviation industry. Air New Zealand's company policies and staff structures changed somewhat to keep up with these changes, but not fast enough. When female aircrew hostesses were incorporated into the cabin crew structure in 1975, they lost their seniority, which affected their pay and eligibility for promotion. Women who had been employed before 1975 noticed that junior male staff were being promoted above them. Lots of gay boys, eh? <laughs> oh, ground stopper. It's true. Lots of lots of homosexual men uh, were really attracted to that idea. I think they wanted to be ear hostesses. Oh, hello. Oh, hello, Shayla. Oh, hello. Oh, cheerio. Um, they did. They did. And they used to play games as well, like they were, as they were walking out the door. Um, as when people would um, and I, these because I know some of these people, <laughs> and um, so when the the cabin crew would be saying goodbye to you, they'd greet you, wouldn't they? And they'd say cheerio, 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 which is a bit naughty. Um, it's a bit of an in-house joke, but I think that was de- determining on the, the. I think that what they were doing was they were, um, they would say cheerio to certain people because cheerios are little sausages, aren't they? 
Oh, uh, no, it won't go there. It's a bit naughty. Anyway, women who had employed before 1975, they noticed that the junior male staff were being promoted above them. This became more apparent and more women, as more women embarked on the long-term careers in the cabin crew. Have I read all this? Yeah. The women approached the Human Rights Commission in 1980. Uh, there were no women in the top two ranks of Air New Zealand cabin crew. By 1984, only eight out of 120 assistant purses, one step up from the bottom, were women. The rest were 1,200 women, about 1,200 women. They were on the bottom rank. That's not very good, is it? 17 women took their case to the Equal Opportunities Tribunal after failing to get satisfaction from either the airline or their union. The tribunal ruled that their seniority must be reinstated immediately. Four were promoted to chief purser. Well, that's good. Hmm. Now, uh, what else happened on this day? Oh, that's the 19th. Got to go back. Got to go back. We've clipped ahead there. 20, 28 minutes past six, too. And on this day, uh, the first known encounter between the Maori and the Europeans, and I guess that would be Abel Tasman, wouldn't it? Let's find out what happened. On this day in eight, uh, 1642, now Abel Tasman, the Dutch East India Company expedition, had the first known European contact with Maori, and it did not go well. After Tasman sighted, first sighted New Zealand on the 13th of December, his two ships sailed up the west coast and around Farewell Spit. On the 18th, they anchored north of what's now known as Abel Tasman Park. The local inhabitants of Mohua were Māori and Ngāti Tumatakōkiri. It's not easy to say. Two waka, that's the little canoes, they paddled out to inspect the strange vessels. The Māori challenged the intruders, which was pretty silly really, with the ritual incantations and what they call pūkāia, or pūtātāra, which are trumpet blasts, possibly to frighten away the dangerous spirits. In response, the Dutch shouted and blew their own trumpets, and they fired a cannon, provoking an angry reaction. Next morning, many waka came out to the Dutch ships. Four sailors were killed after a small boat was rammed by a waka. The Hemskirk and the Zeehan, they, they the two ships, the Dutch ships, they quickly weighed anchor. It means they pulled the anchors up and they sailed away. Tasman named the place Mordenez Bay, which was Murderer's Bay. It is now called Golden Bay. <laughs> and it would be 127 years before the next recorded encounter between the European and the Maori. Of course, it wasn't the European, it was the British, because British aren't Europeans, are they? No, they're not. They're not from Europe. They're from the United Kingdom. I like to point that out, actually. Uh, anyway, James Cook, he arrived in New Zealand in 1769. So that's what happened on this day in history. And uh, I've got no idea what I'm going to give you next, but I'll just play a little something, and uh, and we'll be back in a moment. Here's Brian Tracy. He's always got good news, isn't he? If you're in business and things aren't going well, sometimes you've just got to cut your losses, don't you? It's half past six. The number one rule for success in, in business, personal life, is cut your losses. When you realize you made a mistake, bad investment, bad hire, bad relationship, cut your losses quickly. The faster you cut your losses, fail fast, the uh, faster you can start doing things that are much more productive. Right. Israel's the only place where they had the deal on the table in 1947. Let's split up the country. The Jews were like, okay, we'll do that. We'll take half. 
Israel was very small the way it was originally drawn up. They said, no, we'll attack you and try to kill you and take it all. They failed. Then they attacked again in 56 and 67 and 73, and they are still attacking. They could have peace so easily. Just stop attacking. Do you really think after all this time, this uh, from the river to the sea, really? You're going to get rid of Israel? They're going to just disappear? What a deluded way to look at the world, even if you believed in it. Like, Israel is not going anywhere. Let's deal with that reality. There's no river to the sea. You're not going to get from the river to the sea. This is the fundamental problem. They don't ever make a I'm deal. Saying, what does that mean, river to the sea? That's what they chant all the time. It's, it's a... It's a what? Well, we didn't get to finish that. But anyway, that's true. But when the, the Muslim says from the river to the sea, they mean the Jordan. But when the Jew says we will, uh, we will have, this is the Zionist, from the river to the sea, they mean what the Bible says. The Bible says from the river Euphrates all the way to the Tasman, uh, not the Tasman, <laughs> it's a long way, uh, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. That is the area that will belong to God's chosen people, the Israelis, from the 12 tribes, actually, the 12 tribes of, of um, Israel. And uh, so they're all, each one. And also, you know, during the tribulation period, there'll be, there'll be 12,000 from each tribe of these men, there'll be men, there'll be 144,000 in total, and they'll be uh, Jewish evangelists. There'll be something extraordinary about them. They'll be, they'll be virgins, these men. So Jewish virgins will go out to the whole world, and they will um, preach the gospel. Uh, that's what they'll do. Uh, there won't be any, um, there won't be any of us, uh, sort of, um, uh, what would you call, dispensation of grace. Uh, we won't be here. Uh, we'll, where will we be? Well, we, we believers, we believe, according to the Bible, uh, we will actually be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We'll, be, we'll go up on a cloud. <laughs> we will. You, know, you think, Grant, you're talking, this is fairy tale, fairy tale stuff. Well, it is, isn't it? I mean, a little 14-year-old Jewish girl had a baby to God. Uh, that's what we believe. And why do we believe that? Well, because the Bible possesses the necessary elements of being what it claims to be. What does it claim to be? Well, it, be, it claims to be the words of the living God, a divine revelation from the Creator. Can you prove it? Yes. It has the necessary elements. What, what are they? Well, it's available. That's one element, isn't it? it must be available. It's um, comprehensible. Uh, yeah, you've got to be able to understand it, and you can if you read it. Some of it's hard, but sometimes you've got to study. But, you know, it's, you can understand it. It's comprehensive. It must be comprehensive. Everything that we need to know. If it's not in the Bible, it's not worth worrying about. So that's all. You read your Bible and then you'll know what God wants you to know. So it's comprehensive. It's got to be perfect at the word level. Why is that? Well, because God is perfect, isn't it? I mean, if the living word of God, which is Jesus Christ, if he'd looked at Mary Magdalene as to lust after her, he wouldn't have been able to die for our sins because he would have sinned, wouldn't he? Because the Bible says, Jesus actually said this, he says, if you even look at a woman as to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in, her, in your heart. So therefore... Uh, that's one of the sins, isn't it? So therefore, you've sinned. So you're not, you're not going to. So you couldn't, wouldn't have made it. You wouldn't have been able to be a pure sacrifice. So he wouldn't have been able to be that lamb without spot or blemish. That when he laid down his life for us, those that believe, he laid it down for us. That's what he did. What's the other thing? Well, it would have to have something in it no man could know. Well, how about this? How about Daniel chapter nine? It's the. It's called the Daniel seventy weeks prophecy where a commandment was given by 
Xerxes, I think it's Artaxerxes, look, Xerxes, I, I don't know, I can never pronounce the name, but you know the one I mean. He was a Persian prince, and he gave a commandment, and I believe it was to Nehemiah, to build Jerusalem. And from that moment, um, from from when he gave that commandment, the Persian prince, to build Jerusalem, because it was absolutely ruined, um, it was exactly 483 years to when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And when, of course, when the king comes on a donkey, like Solomon came on a donkey, that means he's coming in peace. And so 483 years. Okay, so what is this, what is this Daniel 70 weeks? Well, in Daniel chapter 9, it says there'll be 69, 70 weeks, first of all. Uh, the, the God said to the angel, go and tell Daniel this. Go and tell him that there'll be 70 weeks for thy people. And after 69 weeks, Messiah the prince shall come and he shall be cut off. And okay, well, what is that? Well, what does that mean? Sixty-nine weeks. Well, weeks can be weeks of days, but can also be weeks of years. And it says, "For thy people." And Daniel was a Jew, so therefore, wouldn't we use the uh, the Jewish calendar, the um, the uh, lunar calendar of three hundred and sixty day years? Well, it says there'll be sixty-nine weeks. And you know what? Uh, a man was who uh, raised up in the late 19th century, his name was Sir Robert Anderson. He was the Assistant Commissioner of Scotland Yard and head of the uh, Criminal Investigation Department. He wrote a book called The Coming Prince, and he calculated that from when that commandment went forth by the Persian prince, provable outside of the Bible, this is, this is why it's called the supernatural element, because you can't prove all those other prophecies because they happened in the Bible, but this is one that you can prove outside of the Bible. Longeminus, or Xerxes, he did give the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem. And from when that commandment was given, it was exactly 69 weeks of lunar years until when Jesus wrote into the city of Jerusalem, just as it was promised, just as it was written in the Bible. And we know that it was written well before, almost 500 years before it actually was given to Daniel, and he, he wrote that in there, in Daniel chapter 9. So Daniel chapter 9 proves that the Bible is trustworthy, because if it's right about that, I mean, no one else, Nostradamus, doesn't even get close to it, really, does he? That you can prove to the day, and long, um, what's his name, Sir Robert Anderson, he thought, well, this isn't good enough, uh, I'll get the royal astronomer to verify my calculations, and so he did. He got the royal astronomer, who apparently was a non-Christian, a non-believer, and he verified that when Xerxes, uh, uh, I think his name was uh, Xerxes or something like that, he was a Persian prince, Persian king, when he gave that commandment, it was exactly 69 weeks of lunar calendar years till when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on that donkey, and then he, he was cut off on the Wednesday. Now, a lot of people think that Jesus was he was crucified on a Friday and he had to be taken off the cross because the Sabbath, uh, Friday, Saturday, you know, Friday night at sunset, that's the beginning of the Sabbath. Uh, but they don't realize that that year there was a double Sabbath. And so there was a Thursday Sabbath and Jesus was actually taken off the cross. And this is all verified in Robert Anderson's work as well in the book, The Coming Prince. Um, he was taken off the cross on uh, before Thursday sunset, uh, rather before Wednesday. So he was crucified on the Wednesday, came in on the Sunday, okay? Then he was crucified on the Wednesday, 
had to be taken off the cross before sunset Wednesday, so he had three full days in the grave and three full nights. Because if he went into the grave on a Friday night, he would only be in there, he would be there um, Saturday, Saturday, um, Friday night, Saturday night. There would only be two nights, wouldn't it? Because he's, they see him in the morning on Sunday. And that would only be, wouldn't be Friday at all. It would just be Saturday during the day. And that would be it. So it's not three days. But that's what the pagans believe, you know, the Good Friday and all that sort of stuff. But the, but the actual truth of the matter is, and Robert Anderson's book, The Coming Prince, proves this. And, it, and the Seventh-day Adventists hate it because, because um, it messes up their whole theory, uh, really. Actually, it messes up a lot of it. And it was given to them by a woman who was proven to be a plagiarist and a false prophetess, Ellen G. White. But they revere her, you see. They, they look at her and how she interprets the Bible is what the Bible says. So they, know, they don't really read the words on the page words that have meanings like for example in uh, Revelation chapter 13 it says that this beast the Antichrist there's two beasts actually one's a false prophet and the other one's the the, um, the leader the um, sort of political leader and so the religious leader that beast he causes people to receive the mark of the political leader in their right hand and in their forehead that they can't buy or sell save they have that mark they have to have it. It doesn't matter what age you are, how old you are, uh, or what your um, you know whether you're um, rich or, or you know whether you're a servant or whatever. Everyone has to have it, even Bill Gates. <laughs> Otherwise, you can't buy and sell. But the Seventh Day Adventists, because of Ellen G. White, they believe that um, the mark of the beast is actually people that worship Sunday Sunday worship, and that the that the Pope is going to force everyone to um, you know take Sunday off. And so they, so that what's going to happen is a whole, well, millions of, if I think there's millions of them, Seventh-day Adventist people are going to be taking the mark of the beast, aren't they? Because they're going to get left behind, aren't they? Because they don't believe the true gospel. They believe that you've got to keep the law. The Bible says the law, the law has, has uh, changed for believers. We don't have the law anymore. The law was fulfilled by Jesus Christ on the cross. And Paul makes it very clear in Romans chapter 8. I mistakenly said Romans 1 the other day, and you'll be looking through Romans 1, but you won't find it. Romans chapter 8 says that we now live by this, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So every day is a Sabbath day for us. We, we rest in Jesus Christ. That's what the, the New Testament's all about. And that's why we, we don't keep the Sabbath. Uh, we, um, we remember the Lord's death and resurrection on the Sunday, that's the day that he was seen, uh, he rose from the dead. So we didn't learn it from the Roman Catholic Church. We learned it from the Bible. He also had the first supper uh, after his death on a Sunday. Uh, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to earth, uh, when Christ went up, he said, I'll send you back the counselor. And he did. And uh, that's the Holy Spirit that came on a Sunday. So Pentecost was a Sunday. Many things happened on a Sunday. And it's new creation, really. It's new life in Christ. You're born again. And it's a, it's a, it's a Sunday thing. And that's why uh, we don't keep it, but we re- it's a sort of a tradition, a church tradition. We remember the Lord. We have the Lord's Supper. Uh, that's the bread, the real bread and wine, not a wafer. <laughs> and we actually have, get to have a sip of the wine, uh, whereas the priest in the Roman Catholic Church, only the priest gets to guzzle it. 
<laughs> that's, that's good. That's why. That, oh, I think I'll go on to be a. I think I'd be a priest. You get to drink a glass of wine. Now, um, so that's that's my story. So that's why I believe that the Bible is trustworthy. We can we can trust every word of it. Now, uh, we're up to seventeen minutes to seven. There'll be more news for you coming up at seven. Now, and we've got some news over at the Otago Daily Times. Let's look at them see what they've got to offer and it says high heat hits the country summer has started to heat up with several places reaching 30 degrees yesterday and many are sitting in the high 20s that is true Kaikoura soars to 32 degrees more heat forecast this week scorching temperatures in eastern parts of New Zealand have seen Kaikoura soar to 32 degrees as the west coast is struck by rain and renowned for Photojournalist Peter Bush has died, aged 83, so he's had a reasonably good innings, hasn't he? Veteran New Zealand photographer Peter George Bush, known affectionately to those close to him as Bushy, he has died. Detective vows to continue search for uh, Ye, I think, what's, how do you say her name? Yan Fi Bao, that's right, as she's the Christchurch real estate agent, isn't she? Yes. As Christchurch police head into Christmas, there is one particular case still hanging over them. They're still looking for her. When police are investigating a fatal shooting in Lower Hutt, one person has died and another has critical injuries after a serious incident in Wellington's Lower Hutt area. A class action launched against the EQC, that's the earthquake and something rather, something rather, something. <laughs> oh, here it is. Earthquake Commission. A class action against the Earthquake Commission could be one of the most expensive in New Zealand's history. Attorney General Judith Collins made a king, she's been made King's Counsel. The Prime Minister has made Attorney General Judith Collins King's Counsel. It's all repetitive, isn't it? You think they put the heading up and then they give you something new to say in the little, but they don't. So here I am just repeating myself. So I might just forget about the headings and just read the little bit at the bottom. And what else have we got? When a Christchurch family's puppy vanished from the back of their ute as they drove to walk him in a forest area, they feared the worst. What happened? Christmas miracle. Puppy's been found unharmed 24 hours after flying off the back of a ute. Oh, we saw a dog fall off the back of a ute once when we were young. We were near Owenite, I think. And I don't think that's how you pronounce it, but that's how we said it. I think it's got some, a, pro- a proper Maori pronunciation, but I always knew it was Owenite because that's what Dad used to call it. Oh, a nighty. Someone's at a nighty. Um, that's what we thought. Someone you know, that They ran around in their nighty. Um, anyway, this dog, we were following this uh, ute, and the dog was on the back of the truck, and he fell off and flew across the road. But he was fine. They, they're amazing, actually, animals. How, some of them, they don't get hurt at all. Now, Parliament protest. Um, the Independent Police Complaints Authority says officer knelt on woman's neck. I remember it. We all saw it. A senior officer at the Parliament's anti-mandate protest has been found to have likely... <laughs> this is the reading of the... This is the Otago Daily Times. Have likely knelt on the woman's neck and head, contradicting a criminal investigation. So... Oh, yeah, I, I, I do want to come back to that. I just hope I remember to do that. Uh, just more headlines. Jobs are on the line after the ferry funding was denied by the government. There will be job losses in Wellington and Picton as work on an axed mega ferry project winds down, Kiwi Rail Chief Executive Peter Reddy says. Christchurch prison visitor caught with drugs, firearm and cash. <laughs> Oh, I'm just going to bring him some. He might, and he's going to do a breakout. Um, 
and so what does it say there? Not what you know, yeah, um, what not to take to to um to a prison visit? A car full of drugs, cash, and a gun, and drug paraphernalia. And a study of New Zealand's first recorded rabies cases shows that the nightmare of the fatal disease, which can be pre- prevented by a vaccine. Oh well, I wouldn't take a vaccine. And um, actually, that'd be a good one for Dr. Sam Bailey to do a story on that, or a video on that. She's done one on, on antibiotics, how they actually don't work. There's no actual proof that they work. It's more to do with just making sure that the wound, if it's a wound, making sure that it's all cleaned up, uh, that you get all the dead matter out, any pus, that sort of stuff, and keep it nice and clean. And uh, anything that's um, sort of under the skin needs to be brought to the surface, and usually that's done with the surgery. Um, and it doesn't have to have, you don't have to go under for it. You know, you just have a, oh, just grit your teeth and bite on this. <laughs> have some whiskey. You'll be right. Have some brandy. Um, that's how they did it in the old days. But no, you've just got to um, make sure that it's nice and clean. And um, the thing that they talk about tetanus as well, I don't think tetanus exists. I think that all that is are puncture wounds where, um, you know, a nail doesn't have to be rusty either. Just any puncture wound where um, the, the um the the object goes in and out and it doesn't bleed. It's very important that you actually get that to bleed, and so you you're actually better off making your cut a bit worse and getting it to bleed and washing it all out if you can with some saline solution, which is just salt and water. Uh, that's all that is, and um, just pour it in that wound and keep it clean. Now there are some homeopathic medicines which do work. Uh, one of the main ones I would think would be if you had a puncture wound, I would go for Ledum Palustra. That would be what I would go. But just check the books. You see, don't listen to me. Check the books because it's all there. Puncture wound. I'm sure it's Ledum Palustra. That's also what you give uh, your animals if you find they've got ticks on them. Um, Ledum Palustra is, is the most effective way of getting rid of ticks. And uh, yeah, I've actually built a... Um, a cover. I actually put that. Finished that cover last week, uh, right over the top of one of the troughs, so that I can, I can put remedies in the water for the animals. And um, the problem is the homeopathic remedies are antidoted by the sun, so you have to have a place where they can they can lap the water and get the remedy, get the medicine into their system, into the organism, um, without it being antidoted. But you also want it so that. Uh, at certain times of the day, the sun does shine on it because you might want to give them a, d- a different remedy. So first thing in the morning, the sun shining on this trough, and then later in the afternoon, the sun. But during mo- the most part of the day, when I'll have the animals in there and it'll be hot, they'll be drinking and they'll be having the remedy that I've put in there in the morning uh, for them just after the sun goes uh, into the shade, you know, when the sun disappears and the, the trough is in the shade. That's when I'll put the remedies in and encourage them you can leave them to water but can you make them drink that's the trouble isn't it now um there's also an appeal for i'm just going i'll just um i've just chopped back now to the otago daily times an appeal for sightings for missing man police are appealing for sightings of the missing waikato man david huggin Okay, and what other headings have we got here? New Zealand, we'll, we'll, we'll go and look at all these. I will, hopefully, we've got till 8 o'clock. We've got time, haven't we? Um, New Zealand low or antiviral drug amid new wave of COVID? Oh, dear. New Zealand is running low on COVID-19 antiviral drug Paxlovid. Paxlovid. I wouldn't touch, don't touch any of that rubbish. It's no good for you. Just, just, um, just more of them. I'm trying to poison you. 
uh, keep you sick, and but it helps keeps patients out of hospital. Well, they told us that about the COVID-19 jab, didn't they? They said you won't go to hospital. <laughs> Remember that? It's just rubbish. There was more people in hospital that had been jabbed than there were hadn't been jabbed. That's the truth of the matter. So you just can't believe a word of these people. Can't believe a word they're saying. Kelvin Davis, he's leaving politics on Waitangi Day. Senior Labour MP, Mr Davis, is quitting politics and will exit on Waitangi Day next year, which is in a few weeks' time. <laughs> When's that? 6th of uh, February, from memory. Luxon heckled to pay back subsidy as government ditches ute tax. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. Oh, yeah, they want him to pay his one back. Clean car discount, dubbed a ute tax by its opponents, will be done... Uh, will be gone by the new year after a bill to repeal it passed that was on the 14th I think it passed through all three stages this week under urgency and they've got another heading here Paxlovid that's the stocks of the um, the COVID the new COVID drug the new poison they want to give you and that's run dry amid the fifth COVID wave this has been a COVID wave <laughs> you just can't believe a word of it can you stocks of antiviral drug po uh, uh, Paxlovid used to treat COVID-19 patients and keep them from being hospitalised just rubbish, don't expect us to believe this nonsense this is just utter rubbish how do they get away with this have run dry throughout the country as a rise in cases drives the fifth wave the rise in cases is all the vaccine injured people are in hospital most of them have all had their shots haven't they Okay, a five-year-old boy struck by a forklift. Oh, that was right, underage driver. We talked about that last week, didn't we? A five-year-old child was in hospital for a month after being struck by a poorly maintained forklift with no safety features, driven by a 14-year-old boy on a Hawke's Bay orchard farm. Well, back in the old days, at 14, you could drive as well as any adult because we all learnt to drive when we were probably seven. And we were driving pretty competently by the age of nine, and by fourteen we were experts. We were, you know, all of. I mean, I could drive at ten. I could drive as as well as I could drive at fourteen. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're really into it, boys in particular, I think, are more into driving than girls. Boys don't really have to be taught, you know, especially farm boys. They just watch. They just watch dad. That's what I did. I watched. I watched him like a hawk. Watched him moving the pedals. Oh yeah, all right, and the gears. Ah. And then he'd tell you stuff. You know, you double the clutch sometimes. You know. And my first car, I was fourteen. My dad bought me a car. I think it was ten dollars. Um, was it ten or fifty? It might have been fifty dollars. I think we did buy a car. My friend and I, Graham Sewell. Um, he's a doctor now. Uh, we did. His father bought a car for five or ten dollars from the tip. It was a Ford ten. I think it was. And we bought it home, and they didn't believe we could get it. They just, I think it was there just to keep us occupied. We're just sitting and playing it. They didn't think, they didn't imagine for a minute that these two 12 year olds were actually going to get this thing going and drive it down a steep hill <laughs> with, with barely any brakes. But we did. And we got this thing going. It took us um, two weeks of the school holidays. I think it was the, um, the, the spring holiday, August school holidays, and we got this car going. This five dollar or ten dollar, I think it was five actually. The um, old Graham's father bought it, and and we pulled it apart and we got that thing going. Basically, we just made sure that it wasn't seized, and we just we and we started it, and then I think we, we did we get a battery. Actually, I wonder if we did or did we just drive it down the road? But they're all out, and these two twelve year olds, we drove the thing down the road. I think we might have crash started it in second gear or th- we knew all about stuff like that because we had go-karts and stuff you know so we knew 
about engines, but only single cylinder. <laughs> this was a four cylinder flathead, and we got that going. And then my first car, I was fourteen. My real car was a is a um, a nineteen thirty eight Morris Eight Series E. Now the old Morris Eight, they had they the my friend Graham's brother, he had a, a Morris Eight, but his was an older one, a nine thirty six, I think. And the doors had what they called suicide doors, and so that means that the hinge was at the back. And the handle was at the front. It made it nice and easy to step in and out of the car. Really lovely. But you could be going along the road at, say, you know, 40 miles per hour or 50 miles per hour, which is what 80 kilometers an hour. And if you open the window, open the door rather, it, the, the wind catching the door could pull you out of the vehicle. <laughs> and this happened. And so those, they were suicide doors. Had to be very careful. I think Citroens had those as well from memory. But that was, um, a, um, um, a Morris, a Morris 8. But yeah, mine was a Series E, so I had the doors opening the safe way. That was my first car. And I think Dad paid $50 for that. And then I fixed it up. And what did I do? I did some modifications. I put a Red Devil muffler on it. <laughs> Got in one of those. And um, the first crash I had in it was in Queen, uh, was coming down towards Queen Street. I think it was in Victoria Street. And I was going to turn into where the Victoria Street car park is and you were able to drive in there that way then I think now it's one way and um, it, got, it must have been a bit wet and uh, what happened I, I did a bit of a skid I didn't 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 hit the curb or anything but I did a bit of a skid and it sort of did a 180 almost a 180 I think that gave me a fright and that was kind of good in a way could have just about written it off and I had my friend who was older he was an older boy he was in the car with me and we're, I was only 15 and uh, yeah, so I got my driver's license on my 15th birthday. Uh, and the policeman said, how did you learn to drive so well? And I said, oh, well, I learned on the farm. But I've been driving on the road secretly, you know, for for ages. On a Friday night when mum and dad were at work, because my father had a shoe store in Roswell South, and I used to drive the car when I was like 12, 13. Um, he had a, a 318 V8 VIP Valiant with the vinyl roof and the little back window. Very nice. And so sometimes um, uh, I would take that for a spin. <laughs> I'd go down the down the road. Um, we lived in Peterbuck Road in Avondale there. And I'd go down the road and then I'd blast it up the hill, you know. It was really good, really give it a good, good old roar. And the old V8 would roar. But I never crashed it or anything. And then I remember once when I was visiting my sister in Murapara, this is before they had their car accident, and she was a, a Soltage dental nurse there at Murapara. Sorry, I just had a wee bit of a cough there. Yeah, Soltage dental nurse. And um, she, uh, they, her and her friend Delwyn, Delwyn Bowen, they went out sort of to a function on, I think it was a Saturday night, and left me at home. And I think I was only about nine. Yeah, and I was at home, and I was—I got quite frightened. Left in this little town, and I actually thought about taking her um, Morris Minor for a spin. <laughs> I could have done. I decided not to. In the end, I sat and watched TV until the Kiwi came out, the Good Night Kiwi. And then when I remember waking up, they were, they were coming home. Goodness knows what time it was. It, might, it seemed like two in the morning, but it probably wasn't. It's was probably you know like ten thirty or something like that, or eleven o'clock, because they were good girls. Anyway, they came home from wherever they were. Some boozy party? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, good Christian girls. Anyway, uh, and I remember waking up and the TV was just sort of like static. But I was petrified. I think I might have been eight, but I was quite scared. I don't know why. I was a bit terrified of being left on my own in the dark. Um, did you ever think there were crocodiles under the bed and stuff like that? Did you kids ever do that? 
Um, and sometimes I'd walk into a room and I'd think, I'd swear there was someone hiding behind the room, you know, some monster or something like that. And apparently that's all part of the, those symptoms are all in the homeopathic books. And so there are certain homeopathic remedies which will cause those similar symptoms. And so that's why we give those same remedies. We look at the totality of symptoms uh, in the patient that they're presenting with, and then we give the remedy uh, of the total totality of symptoms that they're presenting with when you take their case. And so some of them, I think belladonna is one that causes, uh, we have that feeling where you're being followed you know, and there's all these mental and emotional symptoms that kids have when they're young, and they're really pronounced when they're young, and uh, it's often just a, a wee remedy, uh, just a wee Mickey Flynn in their in their um, milk or something like that um, can make them feel 100% better. Just watching a lovely hawk just fly fly past the studio window, just a beautiful creature, aren't they? Always thought it'd be lovely to have one. Do a bit of falconry, um, you know, put a little hood on them and everything, but you'd have to catch them, wouldn't it? It could be a bit nasty. I don't know enough about it. That was one thing that I wanted to do, because it's highly illegal to do that. To Because um, a falcon and a hawk, they're pretty pretty similar, aren't they? Okay, we're uh, coming up to 7 o'clock now. In fact, it is 7 o'clock, and I can hear the TNT radio news. The people uh, the people there, the announcers there, are getting ready. They're starting to get rid of their speaker and say, look, we've got news coming up, so uh, we're going to have to go to the news. So they're just trying to get rid of them. Uh, but they keep talking, don't they? They just keep yapping. So what is the time now? It's exactly 7.24. So I don't know why they're always a bit late, but I can hear that news music coming up in the background there. And uh, But I won't. I'll just keep yapping, jibber-jabbing until they stop talking. Um, I'll go over to have a quick look now at Australian news while I'm waiting for the news to come up. And the latest news is Douglas Murray delivers a chilling warning for lamentable Australian government. Author Douglas Murray has delivered a chilling warning for the Australian government after it voted with uh, the United Nations to demand an immediate ceasefire. That'll be something we might just look at after the news at seven. And of course, New Zealand has done the same. And Oprah Winfrey, she deliberately peddled a lie to her fans, according to Piers Morgan. Okay, so here is news right now. I'll be back after this. Radio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. This is a TNT Radio Encore. For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT Shop is now open at TNTRadio.live. This is World Stage with Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. World Stage indeed. Exposing the tyrannies and exploring... Hey, where's the news? No news. ...history, current events, dangerous trends, and <laughs> the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest... Yeah, they've forgotten the news. I don't know how that happened. No news. They went straight, straight to... Well, I don't know how they did that. Let's go back and check. ...states sovereignty by David Bell and Tai Tui Van Din. Yep. So there's no news. All right. Well, it's going to have to be Grant's news, isn't it? Grant's going to have to do the news. Okay, let's do that. All right. Two minutes past, is it? Yes. Yes, two minutes past. I didn't miss the news. No, it's, that's weird. No news today from TNT. Um, so maybe at eight o'clock we might get some news. Now, Douglas Murray. That was interesting. This is over at skynews.com.au. And author Douglas Murray has delivered a chilling warning for the Australian government 
after it voted with the United Nations to demand an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Mr Murray joined Sky News Australia host Liz Storer to discuss the lamentable actions of the Australian government's uh, post-October 17th terror attacks from Hamas. The former Australian government, I think it has been a lamentable episode, he told Miss Storer. Immediately after October the 7th, the Australian government said that they would stand staunchly beside Israel and for civilised values. You have the fact, you have the fact, some, you have the, the facts. Thousands of Australian Hamas supporters, weirdos, leftists and activists turned out on the streets of Australian cities. This is what Douglas Murray says. Um, it says, well, I have a warning for them, which is watch out because other people will get in on the trick. Uh, okay, is that the end of the news? Is that that whole item? Oh, that's it. Well, that seems strange. You would think there'd be, or maybe, oh, hang on, we've got a video. So maybe they, let's, let's have a listen to that video. Let's see if I can play it. This week, our Prime Minister joined the leaders of New Zealand and Canada in calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, expressing alarm at the diminishing safe space for civilians in Gaza. Australia's position on this war is now utter nonsense. You cannot, as the Prime Minister's shared statement does, on the one hand recognise that Hamas must return the hostages and be removed from power, and on the other hand call for a ceasefire, which would mean Hamas remains in power and repeats October 7th as quickly as possible and as many times as possible, which is exactly what they have threatened to do. Then at the United Nations, our Australian representative voted in favour of the aforementioned UN ceasefire resolution that didn't even mention Hamas by name, much less condemn it in any way, shape or form. That resolution passed despite Israel and America voting against it. The UK cowardly abstained. This is a complete betrayal of Israel by those in the West, who for weeks have, as our Prime Minister has, turned a blind eye to rampant anti-Semitism, which history attests has destroyed humanity and civilizations before. In the meantime, Hamas continues to spill the blood of the very Palestinian people they claim to fight for, while continuing to slaughter innocent Israelis, including those they took hostage. I said it a thousand times before, I'll say it a thousand times more. Every single drop of Gazan blood spilled in this conflict is on Hamas's hands. These people are animals. And yet in the United Nations eyes and in the eyes of our Western leaders, it seems, it is Israel who needs to cool it with the war crimes. Joining me now is a staunch Israel ally, the author of best-selling books such as The War on the West, The Strange Death of Europe, and Islamophilia, a very metropolitan malady. Douglas Murray. Douglas, thanks so much for being with us this evening. Great to be with you. Cheers. What do you make of these domino prime ministers falling straight into Hamas's basically only media strategy, which is use... Though the suffering of those that we are creating uh, use it to win the hearts and minds of the West by merely pointing the finger straight at Israel, even though we're the very cause for it. Yeah, I, I think it's you put your finger on it. 
Uh, that's exactly what Hamas do. Hamas targeted innocent civilians in Israel on October the 7th. And it's a pretty unique terror organization, Hamas, because or an unusual one, because, yes, it then wishes to use any innocent civilians in Gaza as a c- collateral to their, well, or indeed the main attack point for their war. Um, I mean, no other... Uh, I mean, I can't think of an army that has behaved like this in history, um, which is one of the reasons why you know, Hamas is not an army. It's a terror group. It literally puts civilians in front of its own terrorists. It literally puts civilian buildings above its own terrorist infrastructure, its weapons storage units, its missile storage, and indeed its leaders. This is a sort of cowardly way in which Hamas acts. Um, but as, as for the Australian government, uh, I think it's been a lamentable episode. Um, immediately after yeah. October 7th, the Australian government said that they would stand staunchly beside Israel and for civilised values. Um, we then see the first vote at the UN, and the Australian government quite rightly doesn't vote for this ceasefire because it doesn't condemn Hamas. And then exactly the same motion comes back a little while later at the UN, and uh, the Australian government goes with it. Uh, it shows a terrible lack of leadership. But I would add one other thing. It shows that the current Australian government is very easily swayed. Mm. It shows that you just have to have, in this case, like one Muslim minister who breaks ranks and should have been fired for breaking ranks and not having collective responsibility, but breaks ranks and is then not fired, and instead the government adapts to his point of view, you have that, and then you have the, the fact that, you know, some thousands of Australian um, Hamas supporters and weirdo leftist activists turn out on the streets of Australian cities, like in other Western cities. The fact that these people turn out seems to have done a great deal to persuade the Australian government. Well, I would have a warning for them, which is watch out because other people will get in on that trick. When people scent the blood in the water, scent that you're the, this easily swayed and influenced, my goodness, other people are going to be coming at you as well. I don't think there's uh, many Australians who would disagree that we have an incredibly weak government. And I've said from the very beginning, this Prime Minister has always been pro-Palestinian. You can watch videos of him with uh, very youthful looks, talking very passionately for the pro-Palestinian cause. On to other news now. I've got to get your thoughts on the US House of Reps has, of course, voted on Wednesday to launch an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden to examine whether he improperly benefited from his son's Hunter's foreign business dealings. I mean, Reuters says they've done this even though they have yet to find evidence of wrongdoing. That seems to be straight out of the Dems playbook. But is this Christmas come early or what, Douglas? Obviously, we've got the bank reports. We've got Devon Archer, Hunter's former business partner's testimony. Uh, We know that there's not no evidence. Are you hopeful Mm. this inquiry will at last reveal the extent of that family's corruption? Well, I'm hopeful that it could try to get a bit closer to the truth. Hunter Biden gave a press conference this week uh, in which he, he, he said, you know, I'm here. Uh, people say, where's Hunter? Well, I'm here. And you think, yeah, like six years after everyone was asking. <laughs> 
five years, three years. I mean, it, it's a really remarkable thing to sort of present himself as having been always open for for, for questioning and always keen <laughs> to answer any press queries or indeed uh, legal queries. He's, he's done exactly the opposite. And and he did a, I mean, uh, you know, he did a very interesting move, which was that he, uh, perhaps the inevitable one, doubtless, you know, PR'd to death beforehand. Uh, but he he appealed to the sort of sympathies of the public. You know, he kept referring to the fact that his life had been in disarray, that he mm. referred to his brother, he referred to his father. Um, he talked about, you know, his, his addiction problems and all that. And and indeed, you know, that his life had been in disarray because of his addiction problems around the time some of the allegations happened. Now, this is a very interesting thing, of course, because he does play to, you know, in America, you've always got a kind of 50-50 political divide. Um, there will be some people who, who will look at that and will say, poor Hunter, um, you know, everyone's sympathetic to people with addictions and people who, 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 you know, wrecked their lives in some way, which he certainly has, albeit in a very privileged way. Um, there will be some people who look at that and actually feel sorry for him and think, yeah, kind of lay off. I mean, it's true that, you know, as he said, it, it's embarrassing for him. Uh, naked photos of himself have gone all around the world. They've been held up in the house. But, but, but just calling for pity or sympathy doesn't seem to me to be really enough because Hunter Biden still has serious questions to answer about his business dealings. He talked about how proud he was uh, to have been on the board of several companies. But he didn't say why he was on the board of those companies or what he brought to them or what his work was or indeed what the family cut was. We know from some of the leaked emails that were on the laptop uh, that there was there were kickbacks within the family. So he can have our sympathy, but only after he's been frank and full and, and honest about what actually went on. And I think a lot of people realize he just hasn't been, the family haven't been. Everyone else can see the influence peddling operation that seems to have been going on, which is, I have to say, endemic within American politics. But uh, uh, I think that, you know, he can only he can only get the kind of sympathy he wants if he's also frank. And that seems to be a million miles away at the moment. He seems to be taking his best stab at it, though, doesn't he? Like, look at me being authentic. I'm here. I'm ready to talk. <laughs> God help us. Sorry. And then he didn't, of course. Uh, yes, and he then he didn't. Answer questions that didn't. Of course. I can't wait for this inquiry. As we know, it'll have far greater reaching powers to demand what people need to see, hence the point of an impeachment inquiry. Douglas Murray, thank you so much for your time this evening. There we are. Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? That is Douglas Murray with Sky News reporter. He's a great journalist and he really gets stuck in. He's a great war correspondent, actually. He's seen plenty of war, Douglas Murray. You wouldn't have thought so, would you? Uh, he doesn't look like the sort of person, but you can't tell what they look by just looking at them, can you? He's a very brave man. And another brave man I like is here in this country, actually, is John Ansell. He's brave. And uh, I don't know if you remember how brave he was at the final moments uh, in 2022 in March, I think it was, when the police um, pushed everybody out of the, the village there the, um, that they'd formed the at the protest in Wellington and uh, how the media just made it all look really bad and there's lots of investigations going on at the moment too about that and it's not all is not as you would think I mean gosh I mean that 
that uh, police police uh, complaints authority they're saying it, it looks as though what was it now she said it looks as though she he um, put his knee the policeman put his knee on her neck well it was pretty pretty clear that he did let's see if I can find that oh no I might not better find it we'll come we'll come to it uh, let's see if there's any other stories in Australia we've got um, the mirror newspapers ordered to pay Prince Harry £140,000 over the phone hacking scandal and a wave of right wing governments is expected to rise in Europe the Albanese government has not had a great year what does that mean well, that's an opinion piece okay uh, you can find. I'll tell you what. You can go there and look at all these, all in more detail if you like. And it's at skynews.com.au. I wish they'd just give me a wee bit more to go on, and then I could bring it to you instead of having to click on them because it takes a while to cl- click on all these things. Then you go and think, oh, I wish I hadn't looked at it. The mirror. Uh, let's have a look and see what that one's about. Um, uh, Sky News host uh, Carolyn DeRusso. She says the UK court will now be ordered to pay £140,000 for using unlawful information uh, gathering techniques in a number of articles made about Prince Harry. It's been yet another eventful week, Miss uh, De Russo said, just when I thought the comedian from the fall... Oh, actually, I think it's here, isn't it? Yeah, let's play it. Let's play it. Oh, hang on. No, you do need to actually put the volume up don't you let's try that see if i can take it back to the very beginning it's not a particularly long one just a minute and a bit uh now let's see if i can do it there we are is it loud enough not really the length some journalists were prepared to go back to the beginning here gosh it's very difficult to use it has been yet another eventful week oh just when i thought they'd come down from the why does it keep stopping fall out of the release of Endgame would allow us to slide gracefully into Christmas. Apparently not. This week, Prince Harry, the first senior British royal to give evidence in court for 130 years, has been successful in his action against the Mirror newspapers. The High Court in the UK found that a number of articles published about him resulted from phone hacking, and the offending papers will now have to pay him £140,000 for using unlawful information gathering techniques. These findings relate to conduct in the early 2000s, but it does show the lengths some journalists were prepared to go to to feed the royal family news machine. Now, we can't be too sanctimonious on this show. We are here every week to provide you with the latest royal news. But there is a line, and it shouldn't be crossed. And phone hacking is the wrong side of that line. Prince Harry's lawyer said as much following the decision. I respectfully call upon the authorities, the financial regulator, the stock market who were deliberately deceived by Mirror Group, and indeed the Metropolitan Police and prosecuting authorities to do their duty for the British public and to investigate bringing charges against the company and those who have broken the law. And while these findings relate to days past, it's interesting how all sides of the royal family have their ways and means of getting their agendas into the press. Even now, there are friendly commentators, leaks, anonymous sources and lashings of contrived narrative framing. It is, after all, all about public perception. And there are absolutely no angels in this game. But one should always be clear about where the line is and stay on the right side of it. Yes, you certainly should. Very good. 17 minutes past seven. 
And uh, we'll now move it away. It has been. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Quieten down there, young lady. We'll move over, back over to Radio New Zealand and see what the news is there. And so I'm at rnz.co.nz and the latest news, which has just come through, I'll just do a quick refresh to make sure that it is the very latest. And yes, it is. It says the affirmative action scheme that ACT wants reviewed, a review of the long-standing admissions program for Māori and Pacifica medical students is either pointless or perfectly sensible, depending on who you ask. Uh, so I could just zip in on that one. And uh, Dr. What have we got here? I've got a Dr. Simon Watkins is a proud graduate graduate of the MAPAS scheme as the new Minister of Health, Shane Retty, who was responsible for reviewing it. Uh, I don't know if I made that made sense. A long-standing admissions program for Maori and Pacifica medical students is radical. A racial discrimination, says ACT Party leader David Seymour, who is behind a pending government-led review. But the scheme is effective and the review is pointless. The scheme is effective and the review is pointless, its supporters say. Dr. Simone Watkins has always enjoyed interacting with Tamariki. That means... um. Uh, interacting with children. Having grown up in Tamaki Makara, which is uh, Auckland, I think, <laughs> Auckland, um, her summer holidays as a, in her summer holidays as a teenager often included the odd job. What is this all about? Blah, blah, blah. It's just a big long story there. So basically, what does it mean though? What, what does it mean? So she is, this is just a nice positive story, I would think, to say that. Um, Marry make good doctors, but there's very few of them, actually. Very few marry doctors. I'm sure they do, if they're bright enough. It should be based on how bright you are, not on what your ethnicity is, don't you think? Is that what this story's about? Health Minister Shane Retty is responsible for a review of the affirm- affirmative action scheme he graded... Uh, yeah, I might just leave that one where it is. <laughs> It's too hard for me. <laughs> but anyway, Seymour, what he wants to do, he, he wants um, it to be all based on how good you are, whether you're, a, whether you're bright enough to be a, a, do, a doctor or not, or a med student, not on the fact that you are Maori, I would think, or Pacifica. And living with uncertainty, business cycling groups question halt to let's get Wellington moving. A cycling advocacy group called the Decision Disgraceful and the Capitals Chamber of Commerce wants more clarity on the future of the Golden Mile. Scientists let a calls for freshwater protection to remain. Ah, but the farmers don't want that. Of course they would, because they're probably being paid by some group. Scientists and leaders have sent an open letter appealing to the Prime Minister not to change the country's freshwater policy, but they promised that they would. And according to Bryce McKenzie from um, Groundswell, he says that they've done a 180 U-turn. That was what he said in the letter to us on Friday. So whether that's going to happen or not is another thing, because they said they were going to actually repeal it. But will they Will they be repealing it? Um, it sounds like they're just going to delay it, and that's not what farmers want. That's not what any of you should be wanting, because 
if farmers can't farm, that means that means the globalists will take control of your food. It will come from outside of New Zealand, and um, so will be there won't be enough food. And it's not good, not good at all. You can't have that. Uh, Australia cut a city cut off by floodwaters, towns evacuated, and drinking water is at risk. Cairns is now an island in the far north of Queensland, uh, all with roads blocked to the north, south and west as it endures the worst flooding for more than 100 years. And that you know, they've had big floods up there before, like I said, more than 100 years, but they're going to say this is all to do with climate change. Um, yeah, India thrashed South Africa by eight wickets in the first ODI. That's just come through an hour ago. And uh, some good photographs up there. In, let's see, India's smears, smears, is it? Ashdeep Singh and Avesh Khan helped skittle South Africa out for 116 before Sai Sadhashan, is it? Scored an unbeatable 1555 on debut as India romped in an eight-wicket victory in the first one-day international at the Wanderers on Sunday. There we are. I'll leave it there because I don't know any of these foreign names. Too difficult for me. Um, okay, what else have I got here? Why did the chicken cross the road to get... Oh, gosh. No, that's uh, very boring news here at uh, Radio New Zealand. Uh, so I might just play a nice wee country song. And before, I couldn't look ahead to see what I was going to bring you because when you're on on um, skynews.com.au, you you can't look at anything else you have to stay there and so every time I tried to move away it stopped so that was hopeless so I couldn't prepare anything for you okay I'll be back in a mo I'm going to give you a nice wee song what about um who am I going to play I've got a choice uh paint me a Birmingham by Josh Turner or um comeback song by Darius Rucker. This is a new one from him. Actually, no, the one I like is an old one. Actually, came out in two thousand and eight, and it's Sarah Johns. He hates me.
Sarah Johns there with He Hates Me. I like that song. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Now, I've got uh, something here from Barry Smith lined up uh, in just a moment. If I can find... Where are you, Barry? It's, uh, it's a very good one, actually. It's not, not too long. Have a listen to this and tell me what you think. Within our hearts, we have this cry for God. Let's turn, shall we, to Psalm 42 and verse 7. We're reading Psalm 42 and verse 7. I just want you to read the... Yeah, I think we'll read the first bit of the verse all together, please. Psalm 42, 7. Here we go. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. Once more. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. Do you know, brothers and sisters and friends, this morning in the heart of every one of us, there is a depth that cries out for a depth in God. Nothing can satisfy that cry. Nothing. And some of you men, throughout 1987 up till 1987, you have tried everything. Your wife is a Christian, but you're not. That's why you're here this morning. God brought you here. You've tried everything to satisfy that longing. You've tried the club. You've been with the club. But the jokes of your friends and the mocking laughter and the clink of the glasses is just like an empty echo in your mind. You go home and you say, that's not it. You've tried joining up with various clubs and lodges and so on. Good fraternity, great fellowship. You know when you get home there's something empty. That's not it. You've tried succeeding in business. You get to the top of your business field. You become a millionaire. In the words of George Otis, who came through the country years ago, he said these words, they told me when I became a millionaire, I would be satisfied. But I woke up one morning, I was a millionaire, and he said, I still feel the same as I felt before I was a millionaire. It's an illusion. Even the top of your field in business, it's an illusion. There is only one thing will answer that cry that from the depth of your heart and that is to get in touch with God. There is a depth in God that will connect with the depth in you and your needs will be answered when Jesus comes in. And you need a supernatural encounter with God. And that's why we're having meetings like this week by week in this particular building. When you get born again, my brother, you will be delivered from the power of darkness. You will do the things that you wanted to do for years. I heard of a Christian man who walked through a park one day. He met an old tramp. He said to the tramp, Are you the man that you meant to be, sir? Are you happy in the lifestyle you're in? And the old tramp sitting there with his sack full of empty tins that he'd been collecting, cans, said these words, I am not the man I meant to be. And this man, the Christian man, said to the tramp, Jesus Christ can make you into the person you meant to be because he puts his power within you. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're reading Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. I love this. What a lovely verse. When we get born again into God's family, we come out of the old kingdom of the devil. We have a clear-cut decision for Christ. We know who we are. Let's read verse 13 and verse 14. All together, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Friend, today can I ask you a very personal question? Here's my question. Do you ever wake up in the night in a sweat and think of all the stuff you've done in the past? And your body gets a bit of a sweat on and you think, oh, can God forgive that? And that's a valid sort of a question because we all should be asking that question. Can God forgive sin? And the answer is? Did you know that Jesus Christ is the only person who forgives sin? Buddha does not forgive sin. Muhammad does not forgive sin. None of the Hindu gods forgive sin. But Jesus Christ does forgive sin. And when your sin is forgiven, you'll feel great. The Bible says, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose iniquity is covered. The word blessed means happy. You don't wake up in a sweat in the night because all of a sudden, by the grace of God, he has put it in your mind. My sin has been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. When you come tonight, you'll see the cross up there. We have a, a big sign hanging up. You'll see the cross of Christ there in picture form. My sin is under the blood. God's judgment cannot fall on me. I am sheltered by the blood, you see. Not only does sin go, but the guilt of sin is taken away by the grace of God. You say, this, this change, does it happen very quickly? Yes. John chapter 5, verse 24 Excuse me, speaking like a school teacher, but I've done these verbs for so many years now. Let's go back to John 5, shall we, 24. I'd like you to do a simple test with me. If you're not sure, best to be a little bit quiet while we do this. John 5, 24, would you call out the verb tenses as we go through the verse, please? Here we go. John 5, 24, Jesus speaking. We're going to look at the tenses and call out the verb tenses all the way through the verse. Here we go, John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, present tense. Go like that. He that heareth my word, present tense. And believeth on him that sent me, present tense. Hath everlasting life, present tense. And shall not come into condemnation or judgment, future tense. But is past, present, perfect tense, from death unto life, present perfect tense. The moment you receive Christ, you get your everlasting life. Good news! And God still changes people even today. He even gets into stubborn men's hearts and stubborn women's hearts and they get saved. Hallelujah, all right. My word, he picks up some strange people and saves them. <laughs> Who'll agree with that doctrine? Some of the people that come to the front to receive Jesus, you think there's no hope for them. Well, I was preaching in a certain town. A fellow came forward one night with all the people to be saved. And when I said, are you ready for the prayer of salvation? He said, yes. And he was like this. He leaned on my pulpit. Oh. <laughs> I thought, what a strange spirit. What an arrogant man. I said, let's say the prayer. We said the sinner's prayer. I repent of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and I receive Christ into my heart. The fellow said the prayer. 
And I said, there you go, here's your new birth certificate. He said, oh, I don't really need one of those. I said, excuse me, I got close to him and I had a sniff. I said, you've been on the booze, haven't you? And I said, your trouble is you're boozed up. When you come to the meeting tomorrow night, I said, would you please leave the booze alone so your brains are in order? He came to the meeting the next night. I thought there was no hope for him. I thought he'd never come back. He not only came back, he was dressed in a suit. He had a notebook and a pen and his friend was with him. And they sat down and took notes all the way through the meeting. And when the meeting was finished, we had a deliverance time. We set people free in the name of Jesus. And this guy sat there with his pen and paper and took notes on the whole deliverance service. <laughs> and pretty well everybody had gone home. He was still there and he came up to me at the end and he said, that was amazing tonight what I saw. He said, I think you better have a go at me. I said, where have you been? He said, I've been right through Southeast Asia. He said, I've learned all the mantras. He said, I've been thrown into prison up in Thailand. He said, I've got a monkey's tooth around my neck. He said, as a charm. He said, I think I might need a cleanup. I said, I think you might too. Come over here. <laughs> the funny thing that, isn't it? People can do the whole Southeast Asia trip, sit at the feet of all the gurus, learn all the mantras, come back to Australia and find out that Jesus was who he said he was. The way, the truth, and the life. This fellow got set free in the name of Jesus. Beautiful. As we were walking home that night, we went via the Christian coffee shop. It was about midnight. God changed this man so much. We're walking down the street and he looked at me and he said, uh, Barry, I said, yes. He said, I suppose I'll have to get a job now. Who told him that? I never mentioned that to him. Do you know while he was being delivered in the name of Jesus, his hand came up and ripped the monkey's tooth off from around his neck like that and he said these words, this will have to go I suppose. Who told him that? The Holy Spirit told him. In other words, if you make one move in God's direction, he'll make plenty of moves in your direction. The next night, we prayed for the baptism in the Holy Ghost and I saw this fellow join the crowd and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He began to speak with tongues and he worshipped God. His arms were up. There were tears running down his face. And we jumped in the truck. My little family and I drove off and I looked in the mirror. What can I see? A group of people hanging on to each other, weeping and rejoicing because the Holy Spirit had filled them. I got news about a month later. They said he's causing a lot of a stir, a lot of stir in his town. The people next door are getting a bit upset. They know what he was like before. They look over the fence now and they see him sitting at the table reading the Bible. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you receive Jesus, I'll finish on this, you become a pilgrim. Everybody in this meeting today who is born again is a pilgrim. And I looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary and the Bible says that a pilgrim is a person who is on a holy journey to a holy place. Where's the holy place we're going to? Heaven. And those of you who are born again are on this journey and you are pilgrims. You don't belong here. Often people say to me, how come I have so many troubles? I have trouble with my family. I have trouble with my friends. I've got trouble with my mortgage. I've got trouble with the electricity department. Trouble with the water board. All this sort of thing. Trouble with interest rates going up. Do you know why? Reason. God does not want us to settle down 
We are pilgrims here. This world is not my home, says the old hymn. I'm simply passing through. I'm getting ready for heaven. If you've got problems, my brother, join the club. <laughs> Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll close our meeting. We're reading Hebrews 11 quickly. Verses 13 to 16. Some of you say, oh, I'd like to go back to the old life again, would you? No thanks. As for me and my house, no thank you. Hebrews chapter 11, we're reading verse 13. Here are the early Christians, let's read about them. Hebrews 11:13. here we go. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, and having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. That's the old life, you see. Verse 16. But now they desire a better country that is unheavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. You come to tonight's meeting, and I'll tell you what you're going to hear. You're going to hear about the plans the world government people have for your country and for you. One of the plans is they want to dispossess you. They want to take your land off you. Did you know that? World government people want to take all your land off you, all of you. They want to take the land off me. They want to nationalize the whole thing. That was one of the aims of world government from way back in the early 1800s. They planned this and beyond, before. They'll let us live on the property, but we won't own it because they're going to take that up. It's called dispossession. And that's why when I read a verse like this, I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They can dispossess me of my house. They can take my house. They can take my land. They can take my property, but they will never take my security because my security is not in this world. My security is in Jesus Christ. And he said, if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Someone says, you're talking nonsense. No, I'm not. Be here tonight. I'm not talking nonsense. I'm telling you the truth before it happens. I'm speaking to you on the 3rd of January, 1988. We're getting ready for world government. But there's going to be a world government soon after that. And it's going to be the best world government that ever came about. Because it will be run by Jesus. Hallelujah. I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 11. Here's our last verse. <laughs> My family have said to me for years, you've finished so many times, Dad. We're reading 11, chapter 11, verse 15, Revelation. Here we go. Altogether, and the seventh angel sounded, this is Revelation 11, 15, altogether, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's still future tense. It hasn't happened yet. The devil's still running the show here. We Christians are run by God. 
And God, through Jesus, is going to take over the whole world system shortly. The devil's going to have a quick, sharp, short, sharp bang and try and set up his government. But Jesus will come and he will reign forever and forever. And if you belong to him, blessed are you. And as far as we are all concerned, our job is to live as pilgrims and recognize we're living in the most exciting days in history when there are going to be thousands swept into the kingdom of God. Because when the money goes, everybody will start looking for God. And God is the answer through Jesus. There we are. That is Barry Smith. And uh, that was probably done around the year 2000. Of course, Barry Smith is no longer with us. But his messages live on. And we love them here at Liberty NZ. And we're going to play them from time to time. And I'll be looking for new ones too. So if you've got any links out there for Barry Smith's sermons or uh, any uh, interviews that he's done, Send them to me and I will air them because I think they're fantastic. I mean, you just, people used to laugh at Barry Smith. He was on the Leighton Smith show. Uh, Leighton thought he was quite interesting. But then Leighton said he, he thought he was a lunatic. But I don't think he would say that now because a lot of the things that Barry has said over the years have come true. I think he perhaps thought he was a lunatic because he believed the little Jewish girl, 14-year-old probably, um, got pregnant to God. And uh, that's, of course, what our Bible says, doesn't it? It's, uh, that's what it says. And uh, we believe that. Why? Because the Bible possesses the necessary elements of being what it claims to be. What does it claim to be? A divine revelation from the Creator. It has those elements. And the most important, I think, of all is Daniel 9, Daniel 70 weeks, where Daniel, uh, it says there that there'll be 69 weeks, and it turns out, According to Sir Robert Anderson, there were 69 weeks of lunar calendar years, Jewish years, uh, from when uh, Xerxes, I think his name is, um, yes, he gave the commandment. He's the Persian prince. He gave the commandment, I believe it was to Nehemiah, to build Jerusalem. And from that commandment was exactly 69 weeks of Jewish calendar years until when Jesus rode into the city, just as it said in Daniel chapter 9, verified in Robert Anderson's book, The Coming Prince, verified by the royal astronomer, who was a non-believer, a non-Christian. So there you are, you see, that's the supernatural element. So that's why we put our trust in that book, because even though we believe by faith, you can actually prove that the Bible is trustworthy. It's no good putting your trust in a, in a fake book, in a fake religious book like the Hadiths or, um, or, or the Quran which are riddled with errors. And even the new versions of the Bible are riddled with provable contradictions and errors. But the King James Bible, God only has to put it in English once. He did it in 1611, took seven years. That's interesting, isn't it? Seven years. And um, people say, oh, but it's got all these and thous in it. Well, if you read the dedicatory in an old King James Bible at the very beginning, there's no dedicatory, there's no um, uh, these and thous in that dedicatory. So they didn't actually use these and thous, but people started to emulate biblical language. Uh, it had to be, ye just means, it's a plural for you. And uh, so really it's just accurate biblical language. That's that's all those yees and thous are. Most of the King James Bible is made up of Anglo-Saxon one and two syllable words. If you put it through the flesh Kincaid grade level indicator, which is a, um, a system that um, publishing houses or writers use to determine the difficulty of uh, a piece of prose or a, a bit of a piece of writing, uh, a story, that sort of thing. Um, the King James Bible is the simplest language. And that's, that's because it's there's just those simple one and two syllable words. For example, the King James would say house. 
Uh, the NIV uh, corrupt, comes from a different uh, t- type of reading. It comes from an Alexandrian text type, and that would say dwelling. That's a more difficult word. King James would say old. Uh, the new, the King James would say old, and the NIV would say elderly. See, that's a more difficult word. So it's actually very simple, very simple, and it's got a built-in dictionary as well. Gail Ripplinger has um, written some books on this. I think one of them is called New Age Bible Versions. That is a really good book to get hold of. And uh, she's written quite a few books, actually, Gail Ripplinger. And another man who I think would probably be well worth watching anyway um, and reading his books if you can get hold of them. But you can certainly watch them. He's all over YouTube. And that is Dr. Peter S. Ruckman, the most hated man in Christianity. (laughs) He's a bit rough around the edges. You know, he's a harsh man. He's hard. But he's a great lecturer and he knows his stuff. So Dr. Peter S. Ruckman. It would be someone else that I would look at too if you want. You might not like his tone, but hey, it's the information that we're after, not the tone. Who cares about the tone? It's what information is he's giving. Is the data good? Is it, um, is it noise or is it signal? And he certainly, in my opinion, Dr. Peter S. Ruckman gives signal. Someone else would be Sam Gipp, who trained under Dr. Ruckman. Uh, Dr. Sam Gipp, uh, he's got a series out at the moment. It's been out for a while, actually. It's called What's the Big Deal About the King James Bible? I think that's what it's called. And it's a series of eight, I think. And they, they go for about, um, you know, five to ten minutes. I think about seven or eight minutes long. And so what's the big deal about the King James Bible? That is well worthwhile. But make sure you go to Dr. Sam Gipps YouTube channel to get those. All right, we'll be back in a minute. I'll just uh, have a skitter around and see if there's any new news. It's 11 minutes to eight. This recent study also looked at physical activity. And it was interesting because sleep, you know, quality and quantity, again, was associated. So lower quantity was associated with higher all-cause mortality, but only in people that were not physically active. In other words, physical activity forgave the sleep disruption. What's your approach to risk? How would you talk about that? I'm guessing... I'm just, you know, I don't know everybody in this room, but my guess is is that you take significantly more risk than possibly anybody in this room, but certainly more than 95% of the people in this room. What, what allows you to take those risks? Are you faster? Are you smarter? Do you think differently? What do you do differently that allows you to do something that most people here, smart as they are, can't do? I literally just try to use a scientific method, frankly, and, you know, consider the, you know, what, what is the importance of the outcome and what, what, what is one risking in, to, in order to achieve that outcome. And, but like I said, if the outcome is important enough, even if the probability of success is low, one must, I think, still, still do it, in, in my view. You know, some things are very important in order to have a good future, and if we don't do them, well, then we're in big trouble. And so, and then, then how much of a risk really is it? Because if we don't take those actions, we won't have a good future, and I think the risk is thing would be no action. 10 to 8 and uh, news stories here from New Zealand Herald, nzherald.co.nz and uh, emergency services in West Auckland Park, uh, detectives, forensic photographer and Royal Reserve Park in Massey, tents erected. Interesting heading. Okay, emergency services respond to a serious incident in the park in the Auckland suburb of Massey overnight. Officers are blocking Beauchamp Drive following the incident in Royal Reserve, which was reported shortly after midnight. So it looks as though there may be a homicide there by the look of it. Doesn't look too good. So last night, um, not so the area was cordoned off by police with 
detectives and a forensic photographer at the scene. Not long afterwards, the police attended a nearby address at Riveri Place, which adjoins the park, and arrested several people. It's not clear if the two incidents are linked. Earlier, a Herald photographer at the scene said a motorbike was visible lying on its side in the car park. That bike and another vehicle at the scene have this morning been covered by two tents. Oh dear. Okay, so there's obviously, I would say there's been a murder happened there, hasn't there? Someone's been killed anyway. And uh, talking about murder, a double murderer begs not to be released over a chilling cold case. Australian double murderer urges the judge to lock him up for life. Uh, hours after Annette Stewart first met Darren John Chalmers, he bashed her, uh, bashed her head with an iron rod violently, strangling her in her own bed. Oh, I can't read all this stuff. It's just horrible, isn't it? So let's get to the cut to the chase. So he wants to stay. Oh, that's awful. Uh, yeah. So murderer, he just he he obviously realizes he's something wrong with him, and he needs to he begging the judge to say, don't don't let me out because I might do it again. Seems like a crazy could be possessed who knows who knows uh now what other news have i got here and closer to home auckland commuters are facing delays and cancellations on the western line with the fault at newmarket well let's see we have quite a few listeners in auckland uh let's see a track fault at newmarket station has led to a to warnings to Auckland commuters to expect delays and cancellations on the Western Line this morning. Auckland Transport posted on X, formerly Twitter, that maintenance teams found a fault at Newmarket Station Platform 1 and that has put out of service uh, until further notice. It said there was so far no estimated time on the fault how long it would be before it would be fixed. The trouble for commuters comes as further disruptions are expected over the holidays when Auckland Rail Network closes. They're going to close it from Boxing Day and reopens it in stages from January the 14th. It's obviously going to be a quieter time during the holidays. For several years now, the network has closed from around Boxing Day for Kiwi Rail to carry out maintenance. But this year, the closures are compounded by an ongoing $330 million rail network rebuild. The Auckland Passenger Rail Network will be closed from Boxing Day till January the 14th for the regular shutdown. The Western Line will be closed until January the 19th and Britomart will be closed until 21st of January, while City Rail Link teams undertake necessary track work. The Britomart closure until January 21st. Eastern Line services will run between Manukau and the Strand near the bottom of Parnell Rise for that week. From January the 22nd, services will resume travelling to Britomar. Kiwi Rail Chief Planning Officer David Gordon said the quieter holiday period when people were not, they don't sort of travel to and from work, is the ideal opportunity to get stuck into the maintenance of uh, repairing slips and other work from the RNR work. Yes. Uh, he says, uh, over this period, Auckland Transport will run replacement bus services, including uh, on the Western Line for the additional five-day closure. There we are. Now, um, what else have we got here? Doctor's been struck off. I think that's old news, isn't it? She was struck off. She claimed $420,000 for backpacker who left New Zealand backpackers, a whole bunch of them, a doctor struck off. What 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 does that mean? Oh, okay, yeah, there were backpackers, and she was claiming because I think the government pays you. You have your list of patients, 
and the government pays the doctors extra money. So they must get quite a whack, mustn't they? Uh, the doctor who signed up department, uh, departing British and Australian backpackers for long-term healthcare subsidies, that's what happens, her clinic claimed more than 420000 in funding by falsely registering 2,618 patients um, that they were eligible. That's terrible. Dr Judith Gill, she was struck off by the health practitioners. Well, that's the sort of thing you should be struck off for, but not for coming out against the jabs and saying, I don't believe that uh, people should be having them. People were struck off for that, uh, which I think is a bit silly. And now we all know that they were right. The New Zealand doctors speaking out with science science were right. <laughs> I was going to say speak. And we've got the uh, New Zealand doctors not speaking out with silence, aren't they? Now, um, what else have I got for you this morning? Anything else? Yet another whoop, eventful whoop. week. Just when <laughs> I, I get thought rid of the... Stop. Thank you. Um, now, what else have I got? Otago Daily Times, anything new there? It's a great newspaper, still privately owned, actually. Uh, yeah, no, nothing there. Why don't we look at... Um, have I... We've got, well, we've got news coming up anyway, so and then that's my lot. Um, yeah, very unprepared today. Sorry about that, folks. Now, what Come else? Come down from oh, the fallout of the release of Endgame. How do I stop her? How do I stop her? Woo, steady on there. She's into it, that one. She's very keen, very keen. Um, let me see if I can give you something from RNZ. See if they've got anything new. Any new news? It seems to be all the same. Yes, all very, uh, very much the same there at uh, Radio New Zealand. What about News Hub? Anything new there? We've got Racial Discrimination, the Affirmation Action Scheme Act Once Reviewed. And that is that is actually racial discrimination. So we shouldn't be giving Maori and Pacific Island students a hand up. They've got to be good. That would mean that the quality of doctors and nurses would go down, wouldn't it? Uh, for the very few Maori that do get involved in it. And it's only because not, there's nothing wrong with them. They're smart. Uh, they just probably don't have the don't want to they don't want to be doctors but those that do it then you've got to be smart you've got to be you've got to have the intelligence and Maori do have the intelligence if they work hard at it they can and it should be based on how hard you work not on what your ethnicity is and that's why it is a racist policy and it needs to be turned around good on them I agree with David Seymour over that one um, what else have we got other News here, Middle East, Israel opens aid crossing to Gaza while stepping up bombardment. Cause unknown in Japan. Uh, the uh, cause is unknown. Japan's government f- uh, it denies Fukushima link as hundreds of tons of dead fish wash ashore. <laughs> Remember they were putting radioactive material, they're just releasing it into the water from Fukushima, and uh, now they've got all these dead fish. Um, I'm sure that is probably got something to do with it. Uh, New Zealand's most popular destinations for people from this country. There's a survey done there. You can see that over at newshub.co.nz. And uh, let's let's have a quick listen to that, see if we can hear it, see if it'll play. Oh, oh no, it's going to be an ad. We're not doing that. They always put ads on everything. If they cut out the ads, probably more people would look at the stuff. New Zealand could be about to see an influx of Australian tourists this summer with New Zealand overtaking Bali as the top international holiday destination for Australian travellers, according to a new survey. The survey released by the Tourism and Transport Forum Australia this week found 75% of Australians were planning to travel for a holiday this summer, 
with 14% of those intending to go overseas, up to 6.5% from last year. Uh, New Zealand was the most popular destination, gaining 17% of the vote, just edging out Europe, uh, which gained 16%. Japan rounded out to top three with uh, 10%, and Thailand came in fourth with 6%, Singapore fifth at 5.5%, and Malaysia sixth at 5%. Despite thousands of Australians regularly venturing to Indonesia, particularly Bali, which is a Muslim country, so I wouldn't go there just because it's a Muslim country. It's the largest Muslim country in the world. I think they've got about, I think about 10 years ago, they had 240 million Muslims living there in Bali. It's the the biggest uh, sort of population of Muslims in the entire world. Believe it, would you? And it came out of a cave, didn't it? They say that the um, the the Quran came out of a cave in Saudi Arabia. You believe that? I think it came out of the Vatican. <laughs> According to Alberto Rivera, a Jesuit Spanish a Spanish Jesuit priest, and he wrote. Um, did he write a book? No, he gave the information to Jack Chick, who wrote uh, some books and also some comics, which is a really good way for kids to learn about um, what going going on in the world. You can get onto those Chick comments. That's like chicken. That's C H I C K dot com. Go to Chick, and also we've got a distributor here in Wellington, um, Brucey, I think Bruce somebody. Uh, but if you go to chick.com, you'll be able to find out. Oh, now news has started ahead of time. They're all in all sorts of problems. So I will now go over to, and we'll just catch the tail end of TNT Radio News. Experienced faculty and feature traditional curriculum alongside hands-on learning experience, including simulations, case studies, design projects and labs. And the US formally requested military assistance from Australia this week in response to rising tensions in the Middle East. Washington asked Canberra to send one of its warships to the region in response to recent attacks from Iranian-backed rebels. It comes as fears grow of a wider war as Yemen's Houthi militia continue to attack commercial ships in the Red Sea. It's understood Australia is considering the request with a final decision yet to be made. Australia was one of 152 countries that voted in favour of a UN resolution earlier this week calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. This has been Matt Boyland for TNT Radio. I'll be back with more at the top of the next hour. Gosh, Matt, that was quick. Wow, that was really quick. Okay, we'll uh, check out the uh, weather for you. How about that? And then I better get on with my farm jobs and you better get on with your life and get back to whatever it was you were doing. Um, Hastings now has the top temperature, 21.6 degrees. Tianau's the lowest with 8.5. Castle Point, the windiest, 30 kilometres per hour. Nelson is the wettest and they have just one millimetre of rain. Temperatures right across the main centres. We've got Stewart Islands on 11, Invercargill 10, Dunedin has 13. In Queenstown you can expect 11 degrees and that's what it is now. Uh, I'd say that that will be getting up. Gosh, if it's that already at 8 o'clock, I would say you're going to be probably 20s today. On the west coast there, France Joseph 12 and Westport 15, Nelson 17 along with Blenheim. Christchurch 14, Timaru 13. And the Chatham Islands, nice and warm. It's really, uh, I think at about 4 o'clock this morning, it was about 13 degrees. It's now 17 degrees. In the North Island, Wellington and Masterton are on 14, and Masterton's overtaken at 15. Uh, 18 degrees in Palmerston North already. New Plymouth have 16 degrees. Tarpo, 15. Uh, Rotorua is really warm this morning, 18 degrees. Napier's on 21 degrees. Hastings is the highest with 21.6. Tauranga has 19 degrees along with Hamilton. Auckland's on 21 already. Wangarei's 19 and Kaitaia is 
16. And uh, the last time I went out uh, to have a look and I saw two two um, hares, <laughs> uh, got, got the 22 coming out today, so that's good. So we've got one in, uh, in the town, so I'll, I'll have to have a plug of those over the next week, I would think, during the Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas. I think it's a pagan ceremony. I know everybody else does. We did when we were kids. We had the Christmas tree and decorations and all that. But after reading the two Babylons by Alexander Hislop, Dr. Hislop, he's convinced me that it's um, basically just, um, you know, it's just pagan, isn't it? Easter is pagan. So is um, Christmas. Easter and and, um, the Passover aren't the same ceremonies. And we see that clearly if you read the King James Bible in Acts chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. Um, the Passover comes before the days of unleavened bread. And um, Herod, think, I think it was Herod, he said, I'll bring him forth, or whoever it was he had. I think, who did he have? John the Baptist or Peter, I think. Uh, he said, I'll bring him out of prison and deal with him after Easter. And King James is the only one that gets it right. Even though the Greek word says Pascha doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily translate uh, every Greek word into the same English word. Um, so it context dictates, doesn't it, really? And the context, it can't have been Passover. It must be Easter because uh, Herod's was a, um, his wife was a pagan and she celebrated the goddess of fertility. That's where venereal disease comes from. Venus, it's all about sex, this Babylonian goddess worship. And that's pretty much why the Roman Catholic Church is <laughs> full of pedophile priests because and those vestal virgins they used to have in the old pagan um, temples well, they're the new nuns, aren't they? The nuns of today. <laughs> they're not the new nuns. They're, they're now nuns. And so, um, and my dad, when he was in Italy, he said there were pregnant nuns um, over the walls of the monasteries running around. Nuns that were pregnant. How about that? Some of the boys had climbed up and had a look. <laughs> yep, they did. Uh, probably in places like Rome, I would think. Yeah. And that's where my dad was when the war ended in 1945. I think he was 25 years old. Imagine that, being in battle since you're training since you were 19. And um, I don't think they let you go away and fight. Um, he, did, he spent five and a half years. It would have been six years, but he was a wee bit young, so he had to wait before they shipped him up to the islands first to fight up there. I think he arrived uh, based in Guadalcanal, and he was there for two years, and then back to New Zealand, then on another troop ship across in the, with the 2nd Division, New Zealand 2nd um, Division, and they arrived in Cairo to acclimatise, and then they travelled up uh, up um, Italy, and the war ended in Rome. I think it was about April, April, May, somewhere around there. Um, yeah, and some of the boys then went, uh, when the war ended, some of them, they were able to, Dad wanted to go back through New York, but his sister, he was going to travel there and have a look around, um, but his sister had died just uh, weeks before the end of the war. She was only about 23, I think. Um, something happened to her, some medical thing, which they could fix now, easy, but back then they weren't able to, or it was misdiagnosed. And um, so he came home to um, comfort his family, it came straight back. Um, and then others went to Japan. They call that J-Force, I think. Other New Zealanders went there to tidy up after the Americans had... Dropped two uh, terrible bombs on one on um, it was Nagasaki and Hiroshima was Hiroshima was first I think wasn't it that sort of ended the war a lot of people got killed there was that wrong to do that I don't know is it, so is it wrong for Israel to defeat defeat uh, Hamas even though civilians have been killed and a lot more and then the reporting of that that comes from the actual terrorists themselves so we don't really know whether how much of that's true probably nowhere near as many people have been killed as Hamas are pretending. 
because they're the ones doing the journalism, aren't they? And then they say that, you know, someone from Al Jazeera was killed. You just can't really believe anything you hear, um, especially if it's coming out of Hamas, anything out of Gaza. And anybody that's in there that's saying anything that's not according to what Hamas tell them and other terrorist organisations, well, they don't last long. They normally get dragged up the street by their ankles, don't they? And, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's um, a terrible business, but we know that will be peace in the Middle East, but not until the Lord Jesus returns. There'll be a semi-peace. The Antichrist will will bring about a, um, a, f- a false peace that'll last about three and a half years. He'll sign a peace treaty in the Middle East between the Arabs and the Jews, and um, but that won't last. And, of course, people will think that he is the Messiah. He will pretend that he is God. He'll put an image in the temple. I'm not sure which temple, because Jesus is going to rebuild the temple. He says says in the Bible that he will set it up, but that uh, and something there is some temple somewhere there. Um, probably it might not be the temple, but uh, he puts the abomination of desolation, and this has already happened before. Um, some other Roman tried, did that, I think. From memory, just can't remember the names. Just escapes me. He did that. He sacrificed pigs or something in the temple. But all sorts of terrible things have happened. If you read the book Jerusalem by Simon Seabag Montefiore, uh, that is uh, very interesting. So if he's not a Christian, he's an English author. Um, but it's still very interesting. You know, we learn a lot from people like um, um, oh, Josephus who was, I think he was Jewish, wasn't he, Josephus? Yeah. But for some reason, uh, Titus kept him kept him alive. And uh, so he's probably one of the... I think um, Montefiore says that he is, that Josephus is the greatest war correspondent that he's ever read. So anyway, the, that's my lot for today. Um, oh, I'll just give you the short forecast and then I'll be on my way. And you can get back to your life. <laughs> and uh, we'll be here. We'll we'll go through till Friday, Lord willing. And then that'll be it for me. And then we'll have a bit of a break. And then we're back in January uh, with uh, breakfast. And uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit different to what, I'm, what we normally do. Working on it. We're working on it. Okay, the short forecast for Northland, Auckland, Coromandel. Cloud increasing. Isolated afternoon and evening showers. For Waikato, Waitomo, Bay of Plenty, Taupo and Taramanui. Showers clearing from Waitomo this afternoon. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, mainly fine weather, scattered afternoon and evening showers, and they're becoming cloudy. For Taranaki to Wellington, including the Taihapi and also for Wairarapa, low cloud and patchy drizzle clearing this morning, and then mainly fine weather, but isolated afternoon and evening showers about the ranges. For Marlborough, Nelson, Buller and Westland, Areas of morning cloud and then fine weather. Isolated showers returning about the ranges in the afternoon and evening. For Canterbury and North Otago, cloud with patchy morning drizzle and then mainly fine, but isolated afternoon and evening showers about the ranges. For Fiordland and the remainder of Otago and Southland, fine weather apart from areas of morning cloud. Chatham Islands, cloudy with occasional drizzle developing this morning. The extended forecast for Tuesday, tomorrow for the North Island, partly cloudy with isolated showers, but mainly fine in the west. For the South Island tomorrow, generally fine weather, but areas of morning cloud. For Wednesday in the North Island, partly, uh, mainly fine rather, not partly, I don't know where that word came from, uh, but isolated showers in the North and the Bay of Plenty. For the South Island on Wednesday, fine for most, 
but cloud increasing in the south and rain developing in Fiordland and coastal Southland. On Thursday, for the North Island, mainly fine weather, but isolated showers in the north and the Bay of Plenty. For the South Island on Thursday, rain in the south and a few showers developing elsewhere, mainly fine for Buller. Friday, in the North Island, fine to start and then a few showers developing, especially in the east. In the South Island, showers mainly in the south and in the west. The Chatham Islands extended forecast, the odd early shower after fine breaks on Tuesday. Uh, You have the southerlies dying out and cloudy periods on Wednesday, with a few showers developing on Thursday as northerlies turn southwest. Early showers clearing on Friday to mainly fine. Well, thanks very much for joining me, and um, I hope to see you all tomorrow at about 5 o'clock. And uh, until then... Have uh, have a great day and a great evening. It's 12 minutes past eight. I say this with um, as much grace as I can muster. When I'm perhaps at the stage of my career that you're at, I do plan on being, you know, in the Bay of Islands with a glass of Pinot, possibly wondering whether I'm going to do a, a spot of gardening. Why do you want to be back in the beehive? Well, first of all, that's an extraordinary question. Uh, every year... For a long time, about 10,000 people have been going to Omaha, Nebraska to listen to a man who's uh, now 91 years of age and his advisor is 95 years of age because he just might know something. His name is Warren Buffett, right? A former friend of mine has just uh, two years ago retired as the Prime Minister of Malaysia and a current friend of mine is the Prime Minister of Malaysia. Uh, One was Mahathir and the other one is Anwar Ibrahim. Uh, And the moral of the story is... Don't act your age. (laughs) New in Central Hawke's Bay, The Wireless, 88.1 FM.